Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to do a deep dive into the meaning of the zodiac sign Pisces, which is the 12th sign in the zodiac and the 12th entry in our series on the signs of the zodiac. So joining me today is astrologer Austin Kopic. Hey, Austin. Hey, Chris. All right. And this is it. This is the final entry. I started this whole series a year ago with Aries and doing one sign each month and trying to really get into the details of everything there is to know about each of these signs of the zodiac. And so now things have come full circle and this is the final sign. And I could think of no better astrologer to do this episode with than my Pisces friend, Austin Kopic and frequent uh, guest that we do the forecast episodes with every month. Um, and once uh, upon a time, many years ago, we actually did a much shorter version of this where we did two episodes on the signs of the zodiac, but we only spent about 20 minutes on each of them. Um, but here I thought we would, we would go the whole nine yards today. That sounds good. Yeah. Th- I mean, those episodes didn't feel particularly brief, but this is uh, even deeper. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, first things first, one thing I've been doing at the beginning of these episodes is asking for the credentials of each of my guests. Uh, what are your, your Pisces credentials? I believe you had a birthday recently, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just had it on the fifth. Um, so let's see, I have the sun in Pisces, which being a day chart is my sec light, right? So, you know, HQ is Pisces. Uh, I also have the South node or K2, um, in Pisces right next to the sun. I have Mars in Pisces, and Mars rules my fifth and my tenth. And uh, Mars, the the Mars in Pisces actually rules both spirit and fortune. Um, so it's pretty, it's more influential than it seems at first. And um, let's see, my mother was Pisces, still is. Uh, my grandmother, her mother was Pisces. Um, my first two um, serious relationships were with Pisces. Um, let's see here on the podcast, uh, our third for, I don't know, five or six years was a Pisces. Um, my wife has a Pisces moon, (laughs) uh, need I go on? So you have some familiarity, a little bit of familiarity with the sign. It sounds like, I think it'll be sufficient at least not, it's not as extensive. I have to say we've had some people with pretty big stelliums, the Leo episode, for example, Joe. And Nick Dagan Best had a stellium measuring contest back over the summer, so we're not quite reaching that level. But it sounds like you got you got a little bit of experience, so I think I'll I'll take it. All right, all right, um, all right. Happy, yeah. happy to be tall enough to um, you know to go on this ride. Yeah, uh, and I forgot to mention the data. So today is Thursday, March 9th, twenty twenty three. Started a few minutes ago, probably at one thirty one p.m. in Denver, Colorado. Uh, just a day or two after Saturn has moved into Pisces uh, for the next few years. So it's a good time to be talking about this sign um, because that's going to be a lot of the energy that we're going to be experiencing over the next few years as Saturn moves through there. Mandatory Pisces with Saturn. Yeah, exactly. So let me start first by showing this uh, graphic that shows the signs of the zodiac, the 12 signs of the zodiac, and the different properties associated with each of them. Um, with Pisces being the 12th sign. So um, here's the symbol for Pisces up at the top for those watching the video version. The basic stats associated with Pisces is that Pisces is said to be a feminine or nocturnal sign. It's a water sign in terms of the four elements of earth, air, fire, and water. 
it's said to be a mutable sign in terms of the uh, modalities of cardinal, fixed, and mutable. Pisces is said to be the domicile of Jupiter, and Jupiter is traditionally the primary planet, planet that rules over the Pisces. It's the sign of the exaltation of Venus, the sign of the fall or depression of the planet Mercury, as well as the sign of the detriment or uh, antithesis of Mercury as well, because it's opposite to Virgo, uh, opposite to Virgo and opposite to, uh, yeah, Virgo. So those are the basic stats for Pisces. Um, usually where I start here, where I've been starting over the past few months, is talking about the corrective quality that this sign has in terms of the, the sequence of signs from the sign that came just before it. So in this instance, that would be the sign of Aquarius, and that we're moving from Aquarius, which is a fixed air sign, which is cold and ruled by Saturn, and now suddenly we've moved into Pisces, which is a mutable water sign ruled by Jupiter. So you almost couldn't get more of a contrast between those two and making that transition at this point, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, the, I, th I think um, yeah, when we're looking at the planetary rulers, the the coldness and boundedness, the sense of limitation within space and time that, that Saturn and Aquarius brings is very different from the sort of almost limitless, confusing ocean of experience that Jupiter plunges us to in Pisces. There, there. I would say that the the transition from air to water is not so bad. It's not. It's not as. Um, it's not as oppositional as going from water to fire, right? Which we do three times throughout the zodiac. You know, we get in a sense uh, with Aquarius being not a water sign, but the water bearer. We can and air. We can imagine clouds, right? Which are gaseous. They're up in the sky. Um, and then the fall, the release of that that water, which is kept gaseous, and it falling, you know, back to the earth and into the ocean, right? Seeking, uh, seeking its source, right? Seeking to return. Um, and so that you know that doesn't look too violent, but if we imagine the experience of the ranger, or yeah, of the the drop, uh, the droplet condensing and then falling and then mixing with the ocean, well, it's very different, <laughs> right? Yeah, I think ocean. Ocean is like a keyword for Pisces and like the vast expanse of it. Um, but also, you know, it has um, water, which is wet and has more of an emotional connection. I think that's one of the big transitions from Aquarius, which is much more cold and distant and, and almost intellectual as an air sign. When we get to Pisces, suddenly you get um, a greater sense of emotion, emotional depth, and also empathy is like a major. Um, major thing like Aquarius wants to improve things and make things better for people in some ways, almost intellectually. Whereas Pisces wants to do that almost emotionally or spiritually. It actually makes me sometimes when I think about this contrast, it makes me laugh. I think about that story that you always tell of how at a conference once, like I took a friend to like the emergency room, and we were sitting there, and I um, handed her like. A text on like second century on like stoicism. I said this really speaks to your problem. I think this would really, you know, help you at this time. Uh, when in reality, like what you pointed out, like humorously, she probably just needed like a hug or something like that. Um, but instead, I, as an Aquarius, as a very Aquarius and Saturn type person, I was like giving her something that I thought would be nourishing 
intellectually, but that's not always what's needed. And I think Pisces understands that perhaps more than any other sign, because it's the most empathetic, perhaps, of any of the water signs. That's really interesting. That's funny. I'm remembering that now. That's that's that is classic Aquarius Moon. Like you were, you know, the you were attempting, you were actively caring for a person, right? There's there's the lunar signature, but uh, in an Aquarian way. Yeah, in my in my own way. So I, that's in, the empathy is an interesting topic with Pisces. I think on a like on an explicitly personal level, I think Cancer is more tuned in and caring. But Pisces is very caring in terms of what what does a what does a suffering being need? Um, we keep some of the large frame of Aquarius, the like you know global like you know uh, global universal sort of quality, <coughs> but um, but it's keyed in that in uh, into that more <coughs> excuse me felt wavelength, right? Like oh, what does a what does a person need? What does a being need? It's less. Um, like cancer again, cancer does that, but in a very personal way, whereas Pisces is in a larger way. Um, you know, we might say like the cancer might be like, oh, you know, that thing which happened to just you is difficult. Whereas Pisces would be like, ah, this is, um, a species of suffering, which, you know, which afflicts the incarnate, right? Like, and, and explore that in it, in a way where you are part of this greater suffering of having to go to the emergency room because you broke your finger. Right. Um, and so it's connected, but it's still big. Yeah. Well, and because it, it almost it carries over some of the religious undertones of Sagittarius that come from Jupiter to a certain extent, but it, it creates, it puts them in a different context, in a context of more, um, what is it, like internal emotional reflection and like well, that which nourishes your soul. Whereas um, cancer might be more like that, which nourishes your your body to some extent through its connection with the moon. Yeah, more personal and mind uh, uh, with cancer, mind, but in a more personal way, like what's on your mind. Um, yeah, Pisces is is very interested in the like the sort of beginning and end of suffering and experience. Like, what does um, what does this experience arise from and return to? Um, you know, and, and that's kind of, there's a little bit of an alpha and omega quality to a lot of Pisces things. Um, let's see, there's something you just said that I wanted to, uh, respond to too. Mm, I'll, 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 I'll come back to it. I hope. So one of the things, so just going back and keeping the contrast focused is, um, mm -hmm. Aquarius is a fixed sign and especially ruled by Saturn can be very fixed and very stubborn or very stuck in doing one thing and doing it sort of solidly and steadily, whereas um, Pisces as a mutable water sign is probably the most flexible or the most mutable of the four mutable signs, which we first learned and started with with Gemini, which also, in terms of those four signs, also has that mutable quality of flexibility. Um, but Pisces as a water sign seems like it's even more um, mutable, more flexible or adaptable in the same way that water can adapt to the contours of whatever um, you put it in. Um, but sometimes that can go that can be a good thing and that the the flexibility and the flexibility of Pisces can be very positive in some ways because it allows for things like empathy. but in other instances, sometimes at an extreme it gets associated with things like like flakiness or you know not showing up on time or other things like that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Guilty as charged. Um, I think with yeah with Pisces. Um, so Pisces, uh, one of the differences between Pisces and Aquarius is just that Aquarius, as an air sign, is active and trying to make a certain thing happen, um, or trying to, in the case of Aquarius, trying to make things that meet a certain set of standards happen. Right, trying to realize an idea or an ideal and is fixed on that. Um, with Pisces being water and mutable, there's very much a well. We'll see what. We'll see what happens. Like we'll see how it goes, um, and that that mode of being and of approaching things, I think, is really easy to see if you imagine yourself on a pre-modern sea voyage, right? Like you get on the boat, and then once you're away from the shore, um, you know you don't have GPS to locate you. There are the tides. There are the winds. There's some prediction you can do, but you might get blown over here. You know, you might get taken over here. Thing like shit happens, right? And so, not being overly prescriptive, not um, pretending that you can sequence things, but being prepared to adapt to what arises is that Piscean mode. Mm, that makes sense. It almost makes me think that one of the contrasts between Aquarius and Pisces then might be moving from a realm of like strict time and the measurement of that and the almost like scientific exactitude of, you know, measuring the atomic moments in time versus going to Pisces and suddenly moving into a realm of timelessness or, or of that which is timeless as like an overarching concept for Pisces because through that we access a number of other things as well in the like imaginal realms of you know fantasy and and other things like that but that some of those issues with time maybe go back to that notion of like timelessness no i think i um i think that's i think that's really good because you know after any planet or when a pl- when any planet enters pisces other than the nodes it's gone through both Saturnian signs, and Saturn mm-hmm. has a very strict calendrical clockwork version of time. And with Pisces, uh, I would say yes, timelessness, but it's mu- it's also the other time scales of experience. For example, the uh, dream time, right? Like mm-hmm. time, like experience moves at a different rate in dreaming. Than it does in waking life. Um, you know, we've all had those dreams, which are, you know, immense, um, you know, year-long sagas, and then you know, find out we slept for three hours, right? But right. We, you know, there's so much uh, experience. Yeah, um, where you have that dream where it's like you feel like you lived an entire lifetime um, mm-hmm. in that dream, and you had an entire life and personality and everything else, and then you wake up and you realize. You've only been asleep for like a, a night, and all of that was just a an illusion of some sort. Yeah, or yeah, just um, yeah. I don't know, illusion maybe, but certainly not um, not true in the waking world. Um, right. And so yeah, I think Pisces with Pisces, you get that that dilation of time in and out. I would say we also have things like with Pisces, uh, appropriately enough, flow states. You know, with water, right? In a flow state, time passes much more swiftly, right? Rather than being hyper slowed down, we are totally just in tune with something, and there's no there are no breaks to experience. 
um, you know, hours and hours pass. And so I think all of those, like all of those weird sort of adjustments that don't show up on a clock or a calendar are probably part of that Piscean landscape. Water signs in general, but I would say Pisces most of all. Mm. This is bringing up, I think this is also, maybe some of this thing with time is also coming from the fact that Pisces is opposite to Virgo, which is another sign that's very like um, Aquarius or even Capricorn is like a very focused on um, small, minute details and like minute by minute accounting of like changes and things like that in the sequential order of time. Um, and that then is being contrasted with its opposite sign of Pisces, which is just the opposite of that. Um, but so it's like that contrast is starting to come up here, but also I'm noticing um, one of the contrasts then as well, moving from the Saturn signs to Pisces, is that time itself is kind of restrictive and bounds you or holds you back to a certain extent. It sets a limit for things. But when you get to Pisces, when we start talking about timelessness, one of the other themes we're ultimately talking about also is like freedom or emancipation from time or even like liberation from that to some extent. Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, right. I mean, it's hard to not talk about with Pisces. It's hard to, and Pisces and time, it's hard to not sort of intersect with the multicultural body of um sort of ecstatic religious experience literature where mm. you know there people talk whenever anyone talks or virtually always when we have the experience of the divine not a, a particular god but like the raw nature of being there's always a quality of eternity or timelessness um and also usually ecstasy or bliss or overwhelming something overwhelming right. joy in like going, that. going to heaven or going or achieving nirvana or something like that. Right. Even if it's just for five minutes of clock time. Um, and certainly, um, and certainly with other, how should we say, like, uh, even with other less um, uh, amazing uh, levels of consciousness modification, just by doing some meditation, um, you do get like time changes there. Um, but that, like, um, that, like, eternal ground of, being or whatever, whatever language is appropriate, um, oh, it does have that quality of timelessness, right? And the suggestion, of course, is it's oh, this is this is the the substrate or the substance from which time arises, right? Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to being inside of time, but you know, digging down a few layers. So one thing yeah. about um, about the Virgo contrast, I wanted to say. So I live with that. Um, I have uh, Saturn, the North Node, and Virgo opposing my Pisces stuff. Mm -hmm. And so the contrast between clock time and we call it soul time um, has always been a big thing for me. Um, when I was young, I had a recurring nightmare that was just dripping with the greatest sense of horror. Um, there's no imagery associated with it, but it was all that I was late. Um, I was late, like I, I like I'd, I had uh, failed because I wasn't on time um, in a way that like it felt like I doomed, uh, you know, I doomed an entire nation, or that like horror and madness and whatever was not prevent prevented because I was not um, in sync with the time. And then I was looking back at 
um, my last um, Saturn opposition when Saturn was in Pisces when I was in high school. And I did painting after painting and drawing after drawing of um, this creepy little, this sort of creepy little ageless old man slash little boy who was gray um, and had clocks for eyeballs. Um, and it was just, and, and there were all these different images of like staring at time um, and figures with um, like their fingers being candles, which were melting and like the time running out, like staring at time and the temporary nature of things. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I would say that the contrast between Pisces time and Virgo time can be good for astrology, <laughs> right? Because that's what we're looking at when we talk to somebody is like, what are both times, right? Because that's, that's most of our experience is being trapped between two different kinds of time, right? And having to reconcile those and sometimes prioritize one over the other. That's a really important point because mutable signs are often associated with transitional states and transitional realms because um, they're moving from the solidness of the middle of the season in the fixed sign to um, moving towards uh, having a change to the next season by the time we get to the next cardinal sign, which in this instance is Aries in the beginning of the spring in the northern hemisphere. So it's interesting that you mentioned transitions and transitional states, since that's a concept for all of the mutable signs, but here we're talking about it, in, especially in terms of time. Yeah, yeah, and it's. In, I was thinking about this. Um, so, right, every mutable sign ends a season, right? Which season it is depends on your hemisphere, but they all end a season. Um, but there's a, a uh, there's a very meaningful difference between the two signs that end in a solstice, right, which is the a maximum inequality of day and night, versus Virgo and Pisces, which both end with a point of perfect equanimity between day and night. And I was thinking about how Pisces and Virgo are both seeking a perfect balance uh, in their own way. You know, with Virgo, it's all of the things are perfectly arranged. And with Pisces, it's the desire for all these different conflicting levels of being and layers of time and parts of the mind and soul and body to, to, to establish not a peace, but a harmony between them. Right. Totally. Pisces is sort of like, okay, what is everything? How do I live with everything? Um, even though, you know, <laughs> it's maddening, right? Like, how do I how do I achieve a coherence and harmony between um all of the things that I perceive myself to be and the world to be? Um, which is very Jupiterian, right? And very difficult. And you know, it's as difficult and finicky in its own way as the Virgoan quest for perfection, but um, opposite or just in a totally different context, but they both have that pursuing perfect, um, perfect equanimity as a goal and literally as a destination. Yeah, I love that. The and Virgo being more of the striving for a perfect balance or equanimity with material things, which is actually really a great summation of a large part of the Virgo archetype, whereas. Pisces is uh, the striving and the seeking of a balance or equanimity with um, immaterial things, I guess, most broadly would be the most mm -hmm. broad way you could put that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, with Virgo, I would say um, material works, but I would say perfection in form, mm. right? Like the, the part that you can see needs to be like brought to completion and finished, 
Um, whereas Pisces is less concerned with the form. Maybe what it, it's, you know, what um, informs the form or what is behind the form. Um, where does the form arise from? Right. What is the opposite of form? I'm trying to think of what the word is opposite because. Um, we could, so I hate to use an internet word, but like the, we could say the content um, of the, the message is the Pisces part. Its execution um, is the former Virgo part. Um, like as a, for example, a poet, right? Um, uh, although poetry got kind of weird and sloppy in the 20th century, most poetry and poetic forms for most of history um, have excruciating and intense uh, parameters, like this many syllables uh, per line. There needs to be a quarter rhyme between this and that. That being the Virgoan part, being able to do that uh, in a way that, that sounds good and fits the form, um, and the Pisces part being like, well, what are you, but what are you expressing? Mm. What, what is the vision, right? <laughs> um, and of course, for our, a, an, an effective work of art needs both, and one yeah. demands the other, right? You're like, oh, I have all this to say. I've got 18 planets in Pisces. Well, you're going to have to learn form, right? Or you're going to have to learn enough form to work around form, right? And if, if you have an ability to execute perfectly, then uh, you'd be like, oh, I, um, I can speak perfectly. I should find something good to say. Mm. Right. I like that. Um, maybe that takes us into, I'm not sure if that takes us into talking about the contrast more uh, clearly between Virgo and Pisces at this point, or if there was anything you want to do before we get there. Because I know we were there was one, there was an area we were almost going into there where we were talking about transitional states, but also um, consciousness and reality modification, which is a major Pisces theme. And mm -hmm. I know that can sometimes lead into one of the sort of shadow sides or one of the downsides, which can be escapism um, with Pisces, which can sometimes be a good thing and other times can be a tricky or problematic thing. Yeah, no, <clears throat> I, I think the. Um... Virgo and Pisces are both, you know, they're the two yin, feminine, nocturnal, mutable signs. Um, and so instead of saying, how do I change this situation um, so that it's what I want, it's how do I change myself or the way I'm doing things in order to better navigate the situation. And I think with, you know, with, with Virgo, you know, uh, with Virgo, I, I think instantly, like a contemporary form of this is if you look on the internet and like any sort of exercise or performance YouTube rabbit hole, they're like, okay, you need to take four grams of this, do this, eat this, sleep exactly this much, do this many reps, um, you know, per session, do this many sessions per It's like the science of self-modification. Mm -hmm. um, and let's see. And so Pisces also does that. Um, but I get, but in a, <laughs> I would say in a, yeah, in a decidedly less scientific way, um, the, there, there's an interest, to, there's certainly an interest in, um, because it's not, okay, because it's not essentially about form and, and like in a body, uh, in the same way with Pisces, <clears throat> um, you have, I would, I would, I would look at self modifications that are more about changing, <clears throat> changing one's state. Um, a very simple one would be any form of meditation, prayer, uh, ritual, like any of 
the things that humans have done to change their state forever. Um, and then, as you said, a, a shadow side, for lack of a better term, um, we also have the like uh, uh, the the escapism or escapism in is it escapism is it or is it just modification, right? Like I would rather be in this state than this state, right? Because the uh, with Virgo we're we're also escaping negative outcomes, right? Um, there's an interest in avoiding negative outcomes and experiences with any sort of self modification. When I guess when it becomes super pathological where the outcomes aren't actually being avoided then it's like escapism is a pure pathology um but it's like self-modification so one i'm not in in this place where i'm racked with anxiety or furious or you know in whatever errant state of mind um and then <laughs> I, I guess um what the the quality of uh, of the practices and of the substances that one ingests to do that um, are going to modify outcomes, right? Yeah. Well, so going to the escapism part, I mean, something I've think, been thinking about a lot over the past year is sometimes the the healthy or the healing nature of having an escape from reality or the having an escape from the harshness of reality, especially if one's reality in the present time is really hard or is really difficult that having the ability to like you know read a book and read a novel and like escape to like a fantasy realm of of whatever the fictional narrative is in that book if you're reading a work of fiction can be healthy and healing especially if you're like in the middle of you know uh, let's say like a, a war-torn country or or some other really major you know, period in human history where people are experiencing extreme levels of hardship and and in some instances, like in the extreme, like the horrors of um, you know, reality and sometimes the necessity of having an escape because that can help to recharge or help to make your life um more positive or make your experience of life actually more enjoyable. Um, and more optimistic in some way than it might be otherwise. So that sometimes that's actually a very positive and, and healing and useful um, thing to have that's sort of ever present in our society, but we don't necessarily think of it that way sometimes. Yeah, totally. Do you know what um, Ursula Le Guin said about escapism? Mm, no. Uh, she wrote an essay some time ago. And she basically says, so, you know, what do we escape from? We escape from confinement and prisons. Um, and when we're escaping, we're always moving in the direction of freedom. And mm. that's not an inherently negative thing. Right. Yeah, that totally takes us back to the Aquarius Capricorn to Pisces transition that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, that's interesting. So with escape, right, so escape another, uh, I think, closely connected Pisces trait, or maybe even just another word for the same orientation, is avoidance, right? And if you say someone has an avoidant personality, you're suggesting that there's a, a defect and maybe something that they should fix, or it would be better if they weren't. Um, but um, speaking as a Pisces, there are so many things worth avoiding, right? Mm -hmm. Where there's nothing to be gained from the encounter. <laughs> back to the you know uh there you're not gonna uh if you want to learn something there are better ways to learn things there you know you want a great victory there are better contests to have um and if we go back to 
a nautical metaphor for Pisces. Um, there are just, you know, there are, there are areas where you just avoid it. Um, you're like, oh yeah, there are reefs really close to the surface there. We're going to sail around that. Right. And yeah. obviously that can be taken to a pathological level, but that's like part of the Pisces navigation intelligence. It's just like, oh, that's not worth that. It's not worth sailing there. Right. Um, we'll probably fuck up the boat. We can go somewhere else instead. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been thinking about the like the avoidant nature of Pisces a lot um, over the past few years, and I one of the other angles for that and that tendency for Pisces that I've thought about is that as a sign ruled by Jupiter, like Pisces fundamentally wants to say yes to things and to affirm things in accordance with, with Jupiter's basic principle to to affirm and to say yes to things. As opposed to like Saturn, which typically says no to or rejects things. And I sometimes think that the avoidant quality of Pisces is a kind of an indirect way of them not have, being able to avoid saying no to things, where it's like you don't have to reject something if you just like avoid dealing with it. If you just ignore that thing in some sense, you never have to invoke the, you know, the, the rejecting principle of Saturn. You're still sort of like, Mm-hmm. Almost, almost saying yes to something by virtue of just avoiding having to say no, having to say no to something. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. It's like um, if you know you're going to say no, why even have the conversation? Right. And, and I, that's interesting, though. Uh, just to think about the the desire to affirm with Pisces, um, mm-hmm. and I think part of the way that works is looking for things that you can enthusiastically affirm. You know, Jupiter. Jupiter likes the good. Um, in both a small g everyday sense, but also very much in the um, Greek philosophy sense. Like, what is the good? I want to find the good. Like, what is what is good for the soul? What is good for um, you know? What is truth? What is beauty? Like the good. Like Pisces, you know. I don't know. Uh, Pisces can be um, almost addicted to the good um, and dissatisfied with anything that doesn't live up to that sort of half philosophical spiritual um uh quality yeah or or ideal um so that's a really important thing then that it's fundamentally like an optimistic sign or at least similar to sagittarius in that way which is the other jupiter ruled sign in that there's a tendency towards optimism or a tendency towards that which especially that which feels good internally um is something that is gravitated towards and that which doesn't feel in- internally there's sort of a tendency to float float away from yeah yeah it's um i i think the, the optimism is an interesting point because i think sagittarius optimism is more like we can do it whereas pisces right. there's a little bit more you know we're going to do it and if it doesn't happen that's also okay like right. and there's a there's like the often the invocation of the greater frame is a big Pisces thing, right? It's like this is just one tiny thing. You have a whole life, and there's lots of good. Even if this one thing you hope um, is excellent doesn't quite happen, um, that's not the end of the game, or even more than you know a single point out of a thousand. And so the the uh, the optimism in my experience with Pisces tends to be a little bit more optimism for the the entirety of the field rather than optimism about 
the one uh the one line or the one point like this one thing is going to happen with Saj. Mm, yeah that makes sense and that that statement of like everything is great i think that's really great like pisces thing of yeah they're wanting to be a fundamental positive take on things i'm having trouble articulating that but there was something about that phrase that i thought was really good it's not the exuberant optimism of Sagittarius, the like externalization of that, but it's there's something there about the internalization of that and the desire to seek and maintain that, which might take us back to because I didn't want to completely move on from this, but the um the escapism thing, especially in the positive sense, because there's other versions of that. There's, you know, not just reading a novel like a piece of fiction, but there's like somebody that does that with like video games or somebody that does that with movies or music like what are the many other forms of almost like entertainment that sometimes act as like an escape into an alternative realm of like sensation and um things that speak to you emotionally that convey something emotionally um as a result of experiencing them yeah and you know i i um like there it's tricky with Pisces because there is emotional content. Um, but it's, you know, a lot of times with Pisces, I think it's more of an engagement with story um, mm. in a way that connects to, you know, whenever we're talking about story, we're kind of talking about the experience of lived beings, right? Like it's all like story structure is a way of, of looking at um, experience moving through time and things that um, we try to make happen, happening or not, things that we didn't expect to happen, happening. And anytime you're you're sitting with stories, you're sitting with you know kind of the fundamental structure of experience through time. Um, and so, I, yeah, I wouldn't say I don't know if uh, I, I like. It's not that uh, the Pisces is an unemotional mode. Um, but it's less about the the sort of cheap moving or the sometimes cheap sent. I would say Pisces is not sentimental in the same way that we might get with Cancer, for example. Yeah, I um, think so. it's, it, I think I think I think significantly less so. Mm. Uh, again, there's always a like movement towards um, a, a, a universal with Pisces, which might be like, oh, it's betrayal. Right, which might be moving and you know um, cathartic, but it's like the it's it's almost like the archetype of betrayal rather than the one instance of. Um, there's a there's a I think there's a desire with Pisces to understand. Oh, what is what is this thing that happens in so many stories, right? Which allows for relating to the individual stories, um, but has that larger Jupiterian frame. Okay. Um, so escapism as a positive thing, as a healing thing, as a, as a liberatory thing, as you're, as you're talking about, um, but then also sometimes there can be a downside to that in terms of engaging. And if, if somebody gets caught up in sometimes like other types of escapism, like for example, with like drugs or alcohol or things like that, that maybe are, are detrimental physically, but that, that feel good. And that like, make you feel better than what your material or initial starting point was so that it becomes very attractive for that reason 
Yeah, yeah. So to go back to the the the, the boating metaphor, right? It's it's a smart thing to avoid the um, you know the shoals and the reefs. But then we also have the Pisces whose boat is completely stuck on a reef, who's just pretending that it's not. Be like, I'm on the wide open sea. I can see whales, right? It's like, no, no, you're stuck, right? You're, the, the wind isn't blowing <laughs> your sails anywhere. The waves aren't taking you anywhere. Um, and you have to maintain a specific, like a certain level of delusion uh, in order to not see that, right? And there are certainly substances that can help you stay that out of it, right? And that, mm. that, would be a, that would be avoidance in the negative sense. You're avoiding the fact that like, you're not going anywhere, that you are stuck. Right, that there can be like a just yeah lack lack of progress or lack of forward movement materially and physically because you're stuck, um, f you know, in an in a realm that's giving you access to the timelessness or to like not having to deal with things, and that actually becomes a form of avoidance in of itself. It's like avoidance of reality to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. Well, and with Pisces, um, I think that you know reality is. Uh, we're, we're really in Pisces, we have to sort of start thinking about the different layers of reality um, and how they compete, <clears throat> compete and contrast. And how, you know, with Pisces, a lot of times you get the preference of one over the other, and sometimes the avoidance of this one instead of this one, right? Um, and so that can be the physical. Also, you know, if we're talking about. Uh, someone who's uh, mired in one of the stereotypical addictions, they're also stuck on the reef psychologically, right? They're mm. not going anywhere internally either. What is it that's keeping them stuck fundamentally, or what are some of the different factors that might keep somebody stuck? Like, I mean, I know, I'm trying to think, I've, th I've, th I've thought about there's of different people, like Kurt Cobain, for example, famously had a heroin addiction. Um, although that was kind of complicated, um, I know someone like a Saturn placement in, in Pisces and, and issues with like drinking, um, what are, what is the thing maybe, I mean, cause obviously that's a complicated topic and obviously mm -hmm. we can't attribute all of that to Pisces and there's other factors going on, especially to the extent that, um, addiction, you know, in modern times is under, is starting to be better understood as an illness or other things like that. I guess I'm just trying to understand the dual-natured um, tendency that maybe Pisces has that's somewhat pronounced towards escaping to different realms and the different um, motivations for that. But maybe we've started to really sort of explain some of that already in terms of um, the timelessness and healing nature of escaping, but how sometimes that can be detrimental physically. I mean, even with the good forms of escapism, you know, there's people that would argue, obviously, or that would criticize, like, you know, playing video games too much or reading fiction like too much uh, or doing anything too much that's not um, in where you could instead be putting your time into the here and now. And um, there's different like arguments about that or the, the pros and cons of that. Yeah, I, I don't think there's, how should I say, I, I don't think there's like a signature thing to get stuck on as a Pisces or with Pisces planets. I think it's more the way they deal with obstacles, right? Because everybody, everybody gets stuck to a certain degree on the things that happened along the way. Um, mm -hmm. Many of them in childhood, plenty of things 
can happen after childhood that you get stuck on. Um, and, you know, in a sense, a lot of the signs all have ways of dealing with that or not dealing with that. You know, there's like a, the, the signs tell you a lot about the sort of decision tree of the person and how they frame situations. And yeah, the, the Pisces like avoid the bad, seek the good. Um, uh, you know, uh, yeah, that's oversimplifying it, but every, everything that we've talked about is, is very much the way of dealing with it or not dealing with it. Um, mm. like, I don't know. I don't know that. Oh, okay. I guess we can, there are specifically Piscean things to get stuck on. Um, and those are, how should we say, um, afflictions, corruptions of, um, the that big frame that i was talking about you were mm -hmm. saying you know you're saying that with pisces there you know there can be a fundamental sort of underlying optimism i would frame that as an optimism of the field um but uh from operating within pisces uh when you see the entire framework of the universe as far as you can see out of it of like conscious life in the universe if you see that as for example, like predatory or cruel, then um, that intrudes on everything and frames everything, right? You're mm. like, oh, where am I? What's the meaning of life? Ah, it is to be, um, you know, uh, uh, it, it is to be uh, subtly tortured um, until my time here, you know, until I'm erased from existence, right? Like if we're talking about that bigger frame, right? That bigger frame can also be like cruel or nightmarish or monstrous. Mm -hmm. um, and that's again that's a thing that's not any one place but is everywhere just like the you know a happy jupiter in pisces provides um like a, a more buoyant supportive frame for everything that isn't anywhere and but it, it's a little bit everywhere um mm -hmm. and so pisces gets stuck on things like that are big frame questions that other people don't necessarily appreciate they're like yeah but if we look at you know what happened last tuesday that wasn't so bad um, but then the Pisces will be like, oh, but the context, right? Oh, but the universe that that occurred within is indeed monstrous. And then vice versa. Oh, Tuesday was terrible, but the larger thing is nice. And so, mm. you know, there, there's that wanting to understand the nature of stories existing within time, right? And what is the ground of reality, which um, is, you know, us usually explored through spiritual or religious practices and methods because there's the seeking that what is the big context right what is the big picture and that's that's a really important contrast with virgo just because the two uh mercury ruled signs tend to focus on smaller things especially virgo and like very minute almost like microscopic things and details whereas the contrast with pisces ruled by jupiter is the big picture things um the universal things like what is it all about type things mm -hmm. And and then with that, um, when you have a, a, a functional or coherent sort of bigger picture, that allows you to prioritize, right? Which mm -hmm. is very Jupiterian. Be like, oh no, this is what's important, right? The you know this matters for years. This other thing, whether it works or doesn't work, that's just a matter of a day, right? Um, and so that that leads to Pisces. You could you can tie that to avoidance. I would also say that without avoidance, there's also um, in ignoring things um, that seem low priority, 
Like, yeah, I'm mm. not going to spend my time experience on that. It's not a big deal. You know, it's, it's not a big deal is a, is, a, is a statement about scope, right? Which, of yeah. course, is lovely when it's all working, when the priorities are determined correctly, when you really are choosing uh, the, the arc of a year over the arc of an afternoon. But sometimes that afternoon is more important than was initially judged, right? And, you know, Virgo is really good for getting the thing right, right? Getting the afternoon right. And, you know, the Virgo argument is that, well, the, the, a life is made of moments. And so if you get all the moments right, you've nailed the whole. Yeah, especially sequentially, which is something Virgo does things like in order sequentially, whereas Pisces is a mutable sign. I always think about how Dorotheus in the second century or first century talked about in electional astrology, like with mutable signs. If you elect something with a mutable emphasis chart, that you'll start one action, but then then before the first action is completed, there will have to be a second action that's initiated, and the second action will be completed first before the first one is brought to completion. So there's right. this discursive gonna, quality. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get it done, but you're gonna get distracted, and then you're gonna come back to it. Right. right, which is contrasted right in the same text with fixed. You're just going to go in a straight line, and cardinal. You'll do this for a while, and then you'll start something else and not come back to it. Right, of like a strong initial like starting, but not cardinal having problems bringing things to completion. It one literally the starting is the is also the problem because they'll they'll start a new trajectory that takes them completely away. Um, mm. in Dorotheus, but yeah, that like. Coming back to is interesting to think about with with Pisces and Virgo. With Virgo, it's um, you know I think a lot of times it's coming back for edits. It's coming back. Mm, this isn't quite good enough, right? Like uh, you know I, I got it done, then I went or I thought I got it done. I went over here, and then I come back to this, and it's just not it's not what it should be, right? Whereas with Pisces, I think it's a little uh, a little bit more a little bit flakier, a little bit more fluid. Like, oh, but then you know, I got caught up in this, and then I, you know, I wound back around to this. Yeah. So the keywords like like discursive, um, digress digressive, uh, meandering potentially, or maybe even wandering, um mm -hmm. dif diffuse to a certain extent. Yeah, I think um um sort of uh, circumambulatory wandering which is its own form of exploration is really crucial to Pisces. Mm. Um, the, you know, one of the things I was thinking about for our discussion was what kinds of, what are, what is the Pisces shape of a story? Right. And in Pisces stories, the protagonist um, is usually, or is often in a mysterious world and trying to understand both themselves and their place in it and the world itself, like trying to get the self-world relationship right. And there's either a mystery in the self that makes that question impossible to solve at the beginning, or a mystery in the world that makes the self-world relationship impossible to solve in the beginning, or both. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have this sort of law. It, so this is interesting because it connects with Sagittarius. Sagittarius also likes exploring. Um, but it's usually I'm setting out for parts unknown with, with Sag, you have that active, um, sort of volitional quality. Whereas with Pisces, it's more, I find myself in this strange place. 
right? Or right. I, I find, you know, I, I find myself in a place where sometimes some dreams feel more real than waking life. And also some dreams seem to foretell things about waking life, but not all dreams. What, what is the nature of reality then? What is the nature of dreaming if, you know, if given X, Y, and Z? Um, you know, story, I, I think on a like, uh, the sort of shitty pop version would be Inception. Be like, you know, like get it exploring different layers of reality and potentially getting lost in those. Um, eventually coming out understanding reality as a multi layered thing better, but getting lost along the way. Um, we mentioned uh, what dreams may come when we were talking earlier. What dreams may come? Like, what is what is the fate of what is the nature of a soul? What is the fate of uh, of a soul after death? What can be done? What can't be done? What is the true nature of this relationship? Um, and like, those are I, I see those as typically Piscean. I would add to that for the nerds, um, the classic computer role playing game Planescape Torment is uh, I think one of the most Piscean narratives ever. The protagonist wakes up on a, a, a slab, a funereal slab, and can't remember who he is. Um, and as you wake up, you find yourself in the city, uh, in a city that is um, between every heaven, hell, and you know, and normal worlds, um, where all of the denizens of these th- uh, of these different realms of reality intersect and do business, et cetera, et cetera. And you slowly find evidence that you've lived many lives there and that you are immortal, but every time you die, you forget everything. And so you're trying, you know, you're trying to understand the nature of this strange place, but you're also literally hunting down the mystery of everybody you've been, um, and then deciding who you're going to be, right? You, 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 uh, uh, at the beginning of the, or beginning of the game, it seems like there was just one life that you forgot. And then it seems that this has happened a bunch of times and that you are a total fucking shit. Um, during one of your lives, you meet your, your victims from that life. Um, you know, people attack you for no reason that you can remember. You also find uh, lives where you are saintly. You find others where you were, you know, just you were okay, where you were a winner, where you were a loser. Um, and so that, I would say that's very Piscean. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would add as like the Piscean protagonist, right? Like that, like that, uh, and the main character in that is called the nameless one because you can't remember your name, right? Who am I? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, there, I also was thinking about in terms of Piscean protagonists in William, in several of William Gibson's novels. William Gibson, who is considered the sort of um, father, or at this point, grandfather of cyberpunk, um, and who is son in Pisces. In two of his trilogies, in the uh, he has, uh, I would say, essentially Piscean protagonists. In the Bridge trilogy, um, the main-ish character, um, and this is set in like 2030s, I think, um, is somebody who can, has this strange talent where they can basically just look at the internet all day long, um, but they, they don't focus on any one thing in particular. They look at the flow of information and like the prevalence of particular imagery and colors and data flows and end up sort of being able to prophesy about the future by looking at the entire shape of what's going on. 
um and which is you know it's a very that's it's a very piscean thing right where you have it's is it prophecy is it intuition is it madness um and of course um this character i believe uh uh ends up very addicted to a variety of substances and not doing very well physically and then mm-hmm. in the next trilogy um the protagonist is a woman who is literally physically allergic to bad branding okay and so she's actually the most sought after brand consultant in the world because people can just show her a marketing campaign and she'll get hives um if it's bad or you know we'll have like a <laughs> A physical sensation. So, like, there's this weird kind of intuitive, prophetic ability to navigate the sum of information rather than any one piece. Mm, okay. Um, I wanted to go back to not to take us too far back, but yeah, uh, yeah. Shout, shout out to Camille Michelle Gray who helped with some of the research for this episode, as she has. Actually, since the Gemini episode and and throughout this series, so really, I wanted to thank her for that because it's been a huge part of helping me to to do and prepare for each of these episodes. Um, so, talking about the transition from Pisces to Aquarius, or to Pisces from Aquarius, um, she says uh, Pisces corrects Aquarius by inserting emotion and warmth. The colder intellectual energy of Aquarius benefits from a Piscean sense of possibility. From the loosening of that which is too rigid or unprescriptive, the goals Aquarius has for humanity are more easily transmissible through the flexibility and the lubrication of Piscean energy to give people something to believe in rather than just giving people something to think about. The correction of brute force of intellect with creative and compassionate approach. And it was that last keyword that I thought was really important. I wanted to expand on if we can, which is. Something I commonly associate with Pisces are things like compassion, empathy, and sometimes that that kind of extends to all other sentient beings. Like sometimes people that do a lot of like charity work or work for the homeless, for example, um, or people that are really into helping out like animals and like animals' rights and things like that, or who even like um, like sometimes somebody like a, like a vegetarian who wouldn't do that because they don't want to wouldn't eat meat because they don't want to inflict like suffering on another like sentient animal due to this uh, being due to this real um internal sense of like empathy um but also just like affirming and raising up those who are in a difficult position but sometimes that can then also be extended to when it gets manifested in a spiritual or religious or philosophical context like even trying to help somebody out by like saving their soul or what have you in a religious context or in a like a missionary context. Um, how do you feel about some of that when it comes to like empathy and compassion and some of those drives? Yeah, no, I, I think that's all. Uh, that's all. That's all good stuff. Um, just thinking in particular about, well, like three or four things. Um, And I'm going to pick one. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think the the universality of the experience of suffering mm. is something that Pisces is, just kind of comes with planets in Pisces, which allows you, um, if you are the owner of said planet, um, to empathize 
Um, and you know, in a religious context, if we're talking, you're you're talking about what are essentially like what is saintly behavior, right? Um, to forego, uh, you know, forego any action that creates suffering, but that comes out of because there's so much suffering. Um, I think one of the like Pisces, like the like the uh, standard Piscean package of experiences. Um, is knowing that the the great ocean from which we all rise is also an ocean of suffering, and that's just a given. It doesn't mean that that's the only thing, right? The ocean is vast and holds <laughs> many seas within itself, but that like, of course, there's suffering. Of course, that hurts, right? Like that's a, that's a given. Um, that that's um, part of the case for every living being. And yeah. There, 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 you know, there's just there's sort of no defense against that. Um, most other signs are like, yeah, that's true, but I'm busy doing this thing. Whereas with Pisces, that's like one of the baseline assumptions that leads into you know whatever actions or approaches. Yeah, and that that's can also I, drive you crazy. By the way, <laughs> right? That's the problem, and that, that's something I I struggle with to understand with Pisces because it's there. There's that element, the supreme understanding of like suffering and sympathy and empathy for it and there can also be a sort of like sadness sometimes there associated with it but i'm I'm trying to understand that and figure out what the access point is archetypally with some of those basic properties of of the signs since it otherwise um you know ha- theoretically at least like sagittarius being ruled by jupiter has that more optimistic or fundamentally positive orientation initially but I think maybe part of it is that Pisces, because it initially approaches things with such an openness and an emotional vulnerability to things, um, there can be an experience at some point relatively early on in life of having that emotional openness and vulnerability and, and positiveness be met with um, the opposite of that in the world, and therefore sometimes to be hurt. Um, by that and have the experience of being hurt by the world that is kind of sobering and is kind of hard to deal with and hard to reconcile with their initial orientation to things, which is was somewhat positive and, and open and empathetic. Yeah. Well, I would say that Pisces wants to understand um, and that the desire to understand and therefore to not uh, uh, to not uh, disallow um, the knowledge of, uh, of of the experience and knowledge of things, it means that you're going to encounter all of that, right? Like the greater Jupiterian um, sort of goal of understanding in the context of Pisces means, um, you know, engaging with suffering, with engaging, then not suffering as an uh, on an uh, as we say on an explicitly individual level, where well that thing happened to one person. But more like, ah, that can happen to a person. I remember um, one of the things that my mom, Pisces, um, always, uh, I don't know if she even said it that much. It was just enough that it stuck in my mind um, is that whenever, um, you know, whatever there was like a case of, of a person suffering um, through their own actions or somebody else's or just the world or any, you know, usually it's a combination, right? Um, she would quote the Bible as in, uh, she would say, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I, um, and she's not a religious woman, but the, there, that always stuck in my mind that like under different circumstances that could be me, 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, it it okay. is not. There's no like. There's no absolute defense against finding yourself in any situation, right? Like, oh, if I had been brought up slightly differently, if you know, um, if my body was shaped differently, if um, I had different advice from different people, that could be me, right? Like, there's not. It is not uh, the individual will and choices alone cannot keep you from um, uh, the vast majority of suffering, right? There's a, a certain level of grace, luck, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like that basically was that that could be you. Um, and that always stuck with me. And that feels very Pisces, intergenerational Pisces advice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the fundamental almost definition of empathy, the ability to understand and share the feelings of another, to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and therefore to understand almost intuitively what that would be like and to sympathize with it um i um and let me let me stop you one because i think you said something i think really crucial to pisces mm-hmm. is the ability to pour yourself into that situation and be like oh that's what it would be like um right. and I, I again i feel like i need to contrast this a little bit with the other signs who the other water signs um with pisces it's a sort of like stepping in and then withdrawing I think the other signs, like with with cancer, there's a much more limited number of people and situations that they're willing to empathize to do that empathic pouring. Um, but it's it's much more intense and also harder to withdraw from. Part of the Pisces thing is like um, immersing and then retreating. Um, you know, Pisces is good at like letting go of things. Um, and that can be like, oh, that's terrible. And now I'm going to go have crackers. Um, mm. And that, <laughs> you know, which um, I think, <clears throat> you know, uh, like with, I, I know that people, when they talk about Pisces in their life, are sometimes confused by what seems like super empathic and just not at all, or just like moving on or distant. Whereas like Cancer and Scorpio, I would, I would say as well, are much more. Sort of dedicated to who the situations that they that they empathize with and the people that they empathize empathize with. It's much more fixed in the case of Scorpio, whereas like Pisces is sort of like yeah, but I can't do that with when the scope is as big as it is with Pisces. If you can't get stuck, I would say is the feeling. Be like yeah. you should be able to pour in, but you need your water back. Yeah, letting letting it go emotionally is not something I would associate with Scorpio. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So that's actually really interesting. I mean, one of the things one of the things I always associate that's kind of sad when I think about Pisces is um, I sometimes think about like Kurt Cobain, who had a Pisces stellium with Saturn there, uh, as well as a Sun Sun in Pisces. Um, but how he wrote and what he wrote in his um, suicide note because he talks a lot about his empathy and his sensitivity and it's something that always stands out to me because even references that at one point like being a sad um, sensitive little Pisces but it's it's more than that it's like he he's using a lot of other phrases and things like that that are kind of insightful in terms of what we're talking about here um, so just for the video viewers this is part of it he talks about feeling guilty beyond words and he says at one point i'm too sensitive i need to be slightly numb in order to regain the enthusiasm i once had as a child 
I think there's something really important about that that he comes back to because he says, I can't get over the frustration, the guilt, and the empathy I have for everyone. So empathy he feels for everyone. He says there's good in all of us, and I think I simply love people too much, so much that it makes me feel too fucking sad. The sad, little, sensitive, unappreciative Pisces. Jesus, man, why don't you just enjoy it? And he says, I don't know. Um, he starts talking about his wife, he says has empathy, and he says, and I have a daughter who reminds me too much of what I used to be, full of love and joy, kissing every person she meets because everyone is good and will do her no harm. And that terrifies me to the point where I can barely function. Like he's actually contrasting, he he relates to like the openness of a child and something he used to experience, but then feeling like hurt by that and like growing older, realizing that that openness can leave you open to being hurt. Um, but then he goes on, he says, only because it seems so easy for people to get along that have empathy, only because I love and feel sorry for people too much, I guess. Um, and then he, he ends it saying, peace, love, and empathy, Kurt Cobain. Um, so, and here's his chart just for reference, where he had Virgo rising and the sun, Mercury, Venus, and Saturn all in Pisces. Um, not to mention like other water placements like the moon and Jupiter and Cancer and Mars and Neptune and Scorpio. He has he had every visible planet in a water sign. Right. Um, so that's kind of an intense example, but I think it's also just important because it's that dual nature of that sensitivity and that empathy, which can be a really good quality, but also sometimes the openness can especially if you compare it to like other signs like like Scorpio for example that's almost like more existentially aware of the openness and sensitivity being uh being defensive against that or or that that leaves you open to vulnerability or needing to put up defenses to guard against that um Pisces in some ways doesn't initially approach situations with that and sometimes maybe it leaves it open to having a a sense of um, sadness over that or something like that. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's true. Th- that leads me back to our discussion about avoidance, right? Mm-hmm. You know, every, every sign, every, all of these like modes of being, um, have their own defense mechanisms, right? Um, <clears throat> and in, uh, so with Pisces, excuse me, with cancer and Scorpio, um, you you will literally see these signs referred to as armored, right? Like they have they literally have a hard shell. The crab and the scorpion have you know a, a, um, an armored exoskeleton, mm-hmm. um, and that is the you know you can see that with the like the limits on who I'm going to care about with cancer, and um, same same with Scorpio, but different selection process. Um, what I'm what I'm going to care about and what I'm going to remain hard against. Um, and so with Pisces, you know, this is not an armored animal that's got scales, but, um, what it is, is, uh, evasive, right? That's the, that's that, that's part of that experience or that's part of that, um, avoiding or selecting I'll be here and not there. No, I don't, I don't, um, I don't want to look at the internet today because okay. I know, like, I know that I know that I will feel it if I take it in. And so I'm just not going to expose myself to that. That's Pisces defensive armor is the avoidance. Yeah. And when, if we look at, you know, if we look at the world of animals, right, 
um, they're kind of, <laughs> you know, there, there are only so many ways to defend against threats. And one of them is to not be there for it. Right. Um, I, I think of, um, you know, in the, the, the martial contest of bodies, right. There's blocking, right. Interfering with what's going to harm you armor. And then there's evading, right? Like, I'm just going to take this step here so that I'm not going to be here for the punch. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Um, all right. So to round out this section, uh, Camille had written out some contrasts between Virgo and Pisces that I think might be used a good jumping off point for some final initial thoughts about both that contrast as well as um, just Pisces on its own. So let me read some of those really quickly. So Camille writes, the contrast between Virgo and Pisces, that Virgo is the service in the material realm, while Pisces is service in the realm of consciousness, soul, or spirit. Virgo operates on preparedness. Pisces operates on faith. I'm going to dispute faith there with Pisces. No faith? Okay. Well, I mean, we do. That's one of the things we haven't talked about. We're just like glossing over it for the sake of this is, you know, in contemporary astrology, we do have a struggle between the reassignment of Neptune to Pisces over the past century and a lot of our modern astrologers' conceptualization of Pisces being based on, uh, and I'm not necessarily saying Camille, but just like all everybody, all of us, including me and you, that first learned astrology through modern astrology that associated Neptune solely with Pisces versus the movement over the past 30 years to go back to some of the original understanding of Jupiter being the traditional ruler of Pisces and re reconceptualizing the signs through that, which is something I've been consciously doing with this series, is using the traditional rulerships. Um, but, and we can see sometimes the overlap where there's cer certain things, certain keywords, I think, that modern astrologers associate with Neptune that we could still understand through the lens of Jupiter and through Pisces being a mutable water sign, for example. But sometimes you do still have some of that ambiguity or that that um, yeah interchange of significations. But all right, let me read the rest and we'll we'll come back to that. Okay. All right. Um, faith. Okay. Virgo keyword. I have a plan. Pisces keyword. I have a dream, which I think is really interesting because Martin Luther King had the moon in Pisces. Mm -hmm. um, Virgo as logistical mind. Pisces as mystical mind. Virgo as academic intelligence. Pisces as emotional or spiritual intelligence. Virgo as practical. Pisces as fanciful. Virgo as physical. Pisces as metaphysical. Virgo as common sense. Pisces as sixth sense. Virgo as self-discipline. Pisces as self-deluding. Virgo as seeks information versus Pisces seeks inspiration. Virgo needs to know. Pisces goes with the flow. Virgo critical thinker, Pisces big thinker, and then Virgo zooming in, Pisces spacing out. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty good. Um, so what are, what are some ones that catch you that might be good discussion points or ones to either expand on or that you'd like to modify? Um, so can you put the list back up? Yeah, here it is. Okay, so... <clears throat> So zooming in versus spacing out, one of those is useful and one of them isn't. Um, Pisces is good at zooming out, right? It's literally like there's a lens change with both. Mm. Um, it's not that Pisces just, in, you know, stops concentrating, doesn't think about things. It thinks about context by zooming out, 
Yeah, um, or or like the difference between like a microscope that's looking at atoms versus like a telescope that's taking in the entire galaxy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so with needs to know, I would instead of goes with, Pisces does go with the flow, but I would as a contrast to needs to know, I would say Pisces needs to understand. Mm, okay, which is different than related to, but different than knowing. I like that knowing versus understanding. That's pretty good. Yeah, and we could. I would also maybe do the same with seeks information, seeks understanding. Um, so self discipline versus self deluding. I don't think. I don't think we should be doing one virtue and one vice when we're comparing signs. We should compare vices or compare virtues. Um, What's the contrast? So self discipline with Virgo. Um, Pisces has self. Well, I would say what I mean, what uh, discipline gets to is um ordering and so there with virgo we have an ordering of the physical realm and actions within the physical realm mm-hmm. um pisces um pisces seeks order but it's um it's coherence at the uh, uh on an invisible level right like pisces wants to have an ordered soul and you know and if that results in in orderly action then great but it's not the priority. Um, <clears throat> I, I think they're they're both seeking, um, yeah. Or you know, I don't, maybe Virgo is seeking order, and maybe Pisces is seeking coherence and harmony. Mm, I like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Coherence and harmony. Right, that, like that Pis- makes a lot of sense. Okay, good. Um, and there were a few others in there that, that were interesting. If you don't mind putting it back up, sure. Here it is. <clears throat> yeah, practical, fanciful, practical, imaginative, you know, physical, metaphysical, yeah, like visible, invisible, however we want to kind of address that that basic divide. <clears throat> yeah. Um, like earth versus water. Yeah, well, and especially the water of Pisces, right? Which is mm-hmm. um Jupiter water. Um, I also think so with, with Virgo, there's also with Virgo Pisces, there's I should say Virgo is interested in and seeking what is knowable um and pisces is always interested in mystery right mm-hmm. pisces is like oh but what does nobody know yet right what right. what like what what do people think we can't know what does no one know like or what is you know what is uh what is in, what is mysterious um it makes me think of the quote i know is attributed to einstein but at this I was just point, about to bring up his chart at this point in the internet, um, was it Einstein's quote? I don't know. I'm gunshot. <laughs> right. Um, but the, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, um, but it's the, the quote you've probably seen memed, um, which is about how as the body of knowledge expands, the periphery um, of mystery expands. That if knowledge is a light, right, or uh, occupies a given space, then the bigger knowledge gets, the more the the larger the circumference of mystery is. Um, mm. And Virgo and Pisces are very knowledge. They they are are very interested in knowledge, right? And, but with Virgo, it's the what's inside that boundary, and Pisces is is staring off into, um, uh, is staring, uh, sitting on the periphery and staring outward into what's not yet known. <clears throat> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, Einstein, probably one of the more positive or 
prominent Pisces, especially in the 20th century, um, who had cancer rising and the sun at 23 degrees of Pisces and the midheaven, degree of the midheaven at 12 Pisces. Um, so, and yeah, the, some of that that I thought was really interesting is just his work thinking outside of the box of the current scientific paradigm and and completely changing our understanding of time and space and the interrelationship between the two is really interesting in terms of his theory of relativity and how that ties into some of our previous discussion about like time and timelessness and other things like that yeah well and of course the fact that um the breakthrough work was inspired by dreaming and imagining right of getting inspiration from a dream yeah the, yeah, uh, he's. I mean, I, the he's also a, one of the best stand-ins for not an archetype, but a Pisces stereotype. Like you will encounter them, the like pantsless genius or the like the sloppy genius who's like so amazing and insightful and you know blah 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 in one area, um, and just completely absent from the like competence in normal human things in another area. Like it's definitely a Pisces shape, right? Um, there's this quote. You, you can take I, a dig at me. I, <laughs> <laughs> are you are you wearing? I saw pants, you. I saw you right? calculating. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, are you wearing pants right now? Uh, I am, but only because it's cold. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. It's very practical. Um, so there's a quote from Einstein. Actually, it says, "Imagination is more important than knowledge, for knowledge is limited, whereas imagination embraces the entire world." stimulating progress, giving birth to evolution. Um, yeah, and I know he's had a lot of other like sort of statements like that about imagination and different things like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. And it um it, it's interesting uh, in a sense Einstein kind of stands in for a lot of the real history of science. Um, before the post, the, uh, as we say, before the post World War II era, where there's a lot of imagining things, and there's a lot of um, sort of borderline quackery um, and exploration, and you know, and getting lost, and then finding something that ended up being really valuable, rather than um, the sort of um, what what is uh, how science is presented as being. This very institutional, linear, one foot in front of the other way of moving forward, which is um, more the, the the narrative that has become popular about science. But the like, I don't know. I dreamed it, and then I did the math, and like I was onto something there. Um, not mentioning the other times I dreamed things, and the math did not stack up. Um, like that that Piscean edge of mystery and having to get lost in order to find something new. Um, mm -hmm. I think is very like Einstein was that, but also stands in for that, which is a real thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, I'm just looking through some of my other charts for example charts. Um, I know that one that I've used in the past is like a Mercury and Pisces example, because one of the statements that sometimes comes up is that because Mercury was traditionally said to be in both its detriment as well as its fall in the sign of Pisces because it's opposite to Virgo, which is the sign of Mercury's domicile and exaltation, that Mercury in Pisces is somehow thought to be like a, a bad placement for Mercury. 
that's not necessarily a bad placement per se, because there's actually a lot of really good and really interesting and creative things that Mercury and Pisces people do. Um, one of the ones I've used in the past, and one of the ones that Camille pointed out, um, of course, is the famous one of the most famous poets of the 20th century, which is Maya Angelou, who had Leo rising and Mercury conjunct Venus um, almost to the degree in Pisces uh, in the eighth house, and she was a famous poet um, that was really able to lean into and use that Pisces placement, I think, in a positive way. And while she struggled with some issues early on when it came to speech and things like that, eventually it, it was something that she came to excel at, especially in writing poetry. Yeah, um, that's the yeah. I mean that that's the example, right? Is the um, uh, expressing the expressing huge things, um, mm-hmm. and and really having to, uh, as you say, play with and undermine and reinvent language in order to express things um, is uh, sort of the, the 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 poetic thing, and also the the situation of Mercury and Pisces. You know, one way to <clears throat> Right to think about planets and signs is it's Mercury, and Mercury um, finds themselves in Pisces. It it is so hard to get any data uh, on any of the things that are important in Pisces lands. All the all the Pisces land, all the things ocean, the ocean of Pisces, the sea of Pisces, um, all these things that we've been talking about are all beyond the scope of facts. Like facts may be involved, but the facts don't help you solve the mystery. Um, and so how does Mercury, um, you know, how does, uh, how does Mercury navigate an area where, uh, Mercury's great capacity and cleverness, um, with facts doesn't get you very far, right? Mm-hmm. It's an environment that's hot. That it's not hostile. It's, well, you can say it's hostile, but it's, um, you know, if you have wings, um, your, the wings are great, but if you're a mile beneath the ocean, how helpful is that? Right. Or let's say you're winged with a beautiful voice um, like Mercury, and you're a mile beneath the ocean, and people can't, nobody can hear you, um, and your wings are basically just like super shitty flippers. Um, it's a difficult uh, landscape for Mercury to navigate. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's like sometimes you do see some obstacles that come up, especially with planets in detriment or with fall, but sometimes people especially when the planet is otherwise well configured as it is in her chart, like with that conjunction with Venus, that it can become like an area of difficulty can become an area of strength. Um, I know early in her life, because of some major traumas that she experienced, that she became mute for almost five years. Um, But during that time that she developed um, her love for like books and literature and an ability to, Wikipedia says, her ability to listen and to observe the world around her. I think that's such an important thing also, since we're talking about a, a nocturnal or feminine sign or a, a yang sign, as you would say, which is sometimes the, the, what we consider to be a more passive quality of like listening or taking in information. And I think Pisces is one of those signs that are like really good listeners and an ability to like truly sit and listen and hear people, which is in some instances just as important of a quality as the externalized you know, act of, of speaking and, and externalizing one's thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. The taking it in. And that's part of the, the sort of getting lost in a mystery storylines 
um, it's sort of like, well, I'm here. I need to pay attention um, in order to figure out who and where I am and, you know, who, who and where you are. Um, like there's that, you know, use water language, like drinking it in, like, okay, where is this person coming from? Right. Mm -hmm. What, what happened here? Um, uh, so two things, uh, related to that one, um, even though, yeah, Mercury definitely has a hard time in Pisces, it is having a hard time in the sign of a benefic, which is not as bad as having a hard time in the sign of a malefic. And right. you know, we have these sort of mixed uh, sort of delineations in a lot of traditional texts where it's like, well, Mercury, but Mercury's in a Jupiter sign, so it's good. But Mercury's in a sign where, you know, it's in its fall, so it's bad. But you, you see both of those. Um, yeah, that was one of the things that was brought up during the whole detriment thing a couple of years ago, which is just of the two, the pairs of the signs of contrast with detriment, uh, the the Mercury Jupiter axis ones are like the easiest ones to reconcile compared to the other ones that are ruled by either Mars and Venus or by Saturn and the luminaries. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and uh, back to the the listening thing. Um, the way that uh, the the way that I present the difference or the contrasting roles of Jupiter in Sagittarius and Pisces is just sort of like a, a quick. Uh, image for a long time um, is with Jupiter and or with Sag. We have um, you know the 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 priest who is uh, speaking the truth or trying to preach the truth or um, proselytize or explain this is how reality is. Mm -hmm. um, could also be the philosopher lecturing. Whereas I I really see the Pisces as the confessor, right? Who sits and listens to you know all of what's on a person's mind. And then, of course, offers, um, you know, in a Catholic context, right? Like offers their understanding, and then um, what other whatever methods or actions would bring a person back to a place where they're at peace with themselves, right? Absolution, at peace with themselves and the divine. But it starts with listening, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, and then the last thing, just to finish off that example, that. Camille mentions about Maya Angelou is just that she was also a civil rights activist, which demonstrates the Piscean intention or the tendency to, to help heal, to correct a pain, and to dream of a more inclusive reality. Yeah. 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 Um, and then we already mentioned the um, Martin Luther King and the, his Pisces moon and just the idea that, like, I have a dream. Famous, you know, his one of the most famous speeches in. American history, the yeah. I have a dream speech. Yeah, that it's very Pisces. And was he was a night shark, wasn't he? So wasn't the Sectlite Pisces? The um, Pisces moon? No, I researched this a chart? lot. It's a it's supposedly um when I researched it, I don't know if there's any been anything new in the past like, I don't know, five, ten years since I researched it, but the like the Martin Luther King Museum or something like that, when I had researched it, said that he was born at noon. Which okay. like sound, which sounds fishy because like you know we don't know, but they right. seemed pretty clear that he was born about midday. So it might actually be this is usually what's thought to be the correct chart, which is like a Taurus rising chart with the Sun in Capricorn and the Moon at 19 degrees of Pisces, with Venus also in Pisces, exalted in the 11th pole sign house. That's a very believable chart. I think I saw right. one years and years ago um, that had it below the horizon. 
but yeah, I mean, Jupiter in the first, um, and then the Venus moon in yeah. Pisces in the 11th. Um, and Venus yeah. is actually like in a mutual reception or at least exchanging signs with Jupiter in the first. Yeah. So you just have this super close tying together between the 11th house and the first house. Yeah, that, I mean, that certainly works. <laughs> um, that, yeah, that's, uh, that's very strong. And the speaking to, um, wide groups of people with, uh, the, in, with the Venus moon and Pisces and the like speaking to the, the whole, um, uh, well, and throughout his career, increasingly larger holes, um, and being the, the person who is binding that together into a dream. Yeah, into a dream, and also like the the preacher, the pastor. That's also you know doing it in a partially like inspirational context and, and lifting people up, as well as some of the like sort of pacifistic tendencies, just in terms of where different people were going with different elements of the civil rights movement. And it's interesting with him and his message that it was more that we have somebody with such prominent Pisces placements that was going in more of that direction. Yeah, well, and the I mean, if we're thinking of like modes of political action um the benefics that strong right like jupiter in the first and mutual reception with venus in the 11th which is right there with the moon like you know benefics try to win non-violently and non-forcefully right right which makes a lot of sense yeah um let's see there's something which almost takes us back to the like avoidant quality that we've talked about but it's like it's that archetype underlying that but it's not avoidance per se it's something else there's like another word there that almost is relevant in that context when we're talking about like how to win through not direct physical confrontation um and almost like avoiding that avoiding physical con- confrontation but like overcoming despite that there's, there's oh, something- I, would, I would yeah i would say that um the sort of archetypal pisces um you know, if confronted with, um, let's say, like rival, enemy, opposing faction, um, the uh, if you have your druthers and you're operating from Pisces, you incorporate them and you make them allies. Better than vanquishing your foes is to have your foes add to your strength by becoming allies. Like that's the Jupiterian move, right? Because that mm. and that's is that possible most of the time? No. Um, but in an ideal world, that's better than defeating. People. That's better than that's better than than your the opposing army literally w- like putting down their swords and walking away. Even better is if they they join your cause, right? To add the strength um, that opposes you to your own to the the strength of your own side would be the best possible Piscean win. There's something like how do I put this? Um, uh, I think of um, uh, I don't know, macrophages in the bloodstream in the immune system. They like just swallow. Um, they swallow pathogens. It's not like um, uh, I attack and it dies. It's like I make you know uh, the. Uh, it's the incorporating um, into a larger whole. Right. That makes sense. Um, are there any other like chart examples that you think of when Pisces comes up for you, or that you've used or invoked as like classic um, examples? Um, I, I, I was just thinking the other day I asked, it was like, Brianna's a Pisces, right? Um, mm-hmm. and cause I'd just seen, I believe it was a Super Bowl performance and I was like, that, that seems so Pisces. And she was like, yep, Rihanna's a Pisces. And I, I, I think Rihanna 
has a little bit of the same sort of quality as uh, Einstein. And what I mean is the sort of pantsless genius or there's the sloppy genius. There's a little with like Rihanna has um, uh, Rihanna, Rihanna has a, like a charm that isn't about um, sort of perfectly executed um, Virgoan sort of detail. There's a sort of like looseness um, to Einstein, to Rihanna, to a lot of Pisces that um, that's part of what makes the genius work. It's a little like, it, like it, uh, I should say, like the like the shirt isn't too tight. Um, mm-hmm. there, you know, like there's a, there's an there, like as Pisces is the only sign um, where the, the boat or is the single sign where both benefics are happy happiest. And so there's a there's a sense of ease. Um, you know, even if you know that both of them have lots of planets and other signs, but there's like there's this um, like there's this sense of ease and not being. Um, like too perfectionistic um, or tight um, in a way that would restrict the flow. Mm. That's really interesting. And that's such a, almost takes us back to that contrast between like Saturn being such a, a fixed Saturn ruled sign and then getting to Pisces and things just like loosening up and, and being able to breathe again. Yeah. 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 Totally. Well, and, and with Jupiter, you know, we often see Jupiter being the, the planet of uh you know of the winds not like the air element but like all of the sky right all of the you know like bringing the wind and the rain um and you know uh, the the life-giving uh the life-giving air or prana or pneuma mm, yeah all right we're back from a little bit of a break and ready to move into part two so i think we had a few examples before we move on and start contrasting with the other signs um, what do you, what do you got? What is, what's coming to mind for you right now? Okay. So, <clears throat> um, uh, famous Pisces or notable Pisces include, uh, Flavor Flav. Okay. Um, another pantsless genius. Um, Fabio. Fabio. Okay. That's good. Um, you could see the, like, Flavor Flav and Fabio might not be immediately associated, but like we, bo- we, we both have imagined characters like flavor flave is um just as you know he's playing in a, a super imaginative in non-linear you know intuitive enthusiastic character right mm-hmm. um fabio is we know fabio fabio was um literally best able to embody a cultural fantasy right mm-hmm. like it's the ability that it's that intersection with uh with dreaming right either to be an imaginative character or to embody something that people already imagine. Um, I would also say like bridging the pantsless genius and sad Pisces categories. Um, the legendary Alaska Thunderfuck, um, who's a, a, a drag queen who is very like, if, if you hear Alaska talk, there's like this like melancholic Saturnian sort of quality while also um, being like a fantastically imaginative performer even within drag Mm. um and then this is going to be a pisces moon but they wouldn't have been who they were without it leonard cohen had a nearly full moon in pisces and that like sad pisces like depth and world weariness and um you know the, the the gaze that one only has when one has drunk deeply from the sea of uh the sea of tears like leonard cohen all the way um you know there's also 
um, tons of Virgo, or there's lots of Virgo for him, so he's able to shape it perfectly, and Libra as well, right? But uh, the Pisces moon really anchors that chart. Um, that's a really that's a really good one because I was actually just talking to somebody about that recently. So, and it looks like we have an A time for Leonard Cohen. Um, yeah. so here's the chart. Yeah, I've been uh, using this one as an example for years. Um, there are like 12 different things that speak to being an amazing artist in this chart. <laughs> it's really good for, um, uh, it's really good for, oh, where's the talent? Oh, it's 13 different places, right? right. And they all work together. So, and so this is a, a round sunrise chart with Virgo rising and the sun and Venus and Neptune and Virgo in the first whole sign house for those listening to the audio version. And then the moon is over in Pisces in the seventh whole sign house. Yeah, it's conjunct the part of fortune, conjunct Fomohat in a perfect, um, in a perfect antitial relationship with Jupiter, which is its ruler, which is on Spica. Um, it's uh, in a lot of it's 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 a beautiful chart. Um, yeah, but yeah. That that chart doesn't happen without that big Pisces moon to anchor it. And it's worth noting that it's in the whole sign seven, and so many of Leonard Cohen's songs are addressed to a beloved, sometimes a named person, um, sometimes um, you know a mysterious other that he has a romantic uh, a romantic entanglement with, um, sometimes um, God or the divine, but um, like addressing that mysterious, powerful, beloved other. Yeah, I mean, I was just talking. I think I was talking to Lisa Scheim about Leonard Cohen the other day because I think she was watching a documentary about him, and um, especially one of his most famous songs, um, "Hallelujah," and how that's just been covered like a million times. Yeah, I watched that documentary, okay. and then I watched Kate and I watched every documentary that we could find that he was ever in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's a really good. Pisces example. What is it about? If there, if there's a way if we could explain that, especially the Hallelujah song from the perspective of somebody that's never heard of him or never heard of the song before, like how would you encapsulate it? Well, it does what a lot of his work does, which it entangles the individual, small, inconsequential, minuscule, even petty, with the mysterious divine transcendent um over and overwhelming um mm. the, that the pisces virgo axis as we talked about it earlier um you know he connects the smallest thing with the largest possible scope very consistently throughout his uh throughout you know his entire gigantic body of work and mm. you know there's uh, there's beauty but there you know there's beauty there's love but then there are also all the things that Kurt Cobain couldn't tolerate, right? Who was also Virgo Pisces axis. Um, and Leonard, Leonard's one of the people who not only, you know, or who was able to reconcile them, I think in a lot of ways personally, or at least consistently worked to reconcile them, um, but also lyrically and musically. It's all little things and huge things. And, and, um, he's able to uh, Leonard's able to show you their interconnection rather than having them seem hopelessly irreconcilable as they often do. 
Yeah, there's a real like melancholy to the song as well. Oh, I mean that's one of his more upbeat songs. Okay. <laughs> um, you should listen to uh, "Songs of Love and Hate." My, uh, I would say that um, Leonard Cohen was my goth phase. I was listening to, you know, I was listening to uh, what might seem like much darker, like goth industrial metal. Um, but Leonard Cohen was the was the darkest vibe. Um, mm. <laughs> um, I mean, literally his, his going away album before he died was, you know, you want it darker mm. and that was addressed to God. That's really interesting that, um, relevant side note, um, my other, cause the other Pisces example I always think of who was born within weeks of Kurt Cobain was Billy Corrigan. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> who has the sun and Mercury in um pisces and he's a funny example because it's like corga or um cobain was born before him like as mercury was stationing retrograde and then i think corrigan was born when mercury was stationing direct just a few weeks later but also with a virgo rising which creates a very weirdly similar chart major difference is that saturn has moved into aries and venus is also no longer in pisces but there's still pisces there and i did see on twitter recently a few days ago that the astrologer S.J. Anderson pointed out that um, Billy Corgan and the Smashing Pumpkins um, album Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness came out under Saturn and Pisces back in the mid '90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really good. Yeah, the um, the like sad slash goth Pisces is a it's a thing, right? It's there with the pantsless genius. It may mm. be they may be sad goth pantsless geniuses. Um, there's, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of that, but so is the, there's also a like goofy quality to mm. Pisces that you see in a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of the nativities, a lot of the natives. Um, and that's, you know, it's sort of imagining beyond what makes sense, um, you know, or being more creative than what's cool. Uh, and you know, like in some, like if you've ever seen Billy Corgan interviewed, he's a goofy motherfucker. Um, you know, Flavor Flav is certainly goofy, you know, intentionally. Yeah. Robin Williams and his Pisces moon. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a, there's a goofiness. Um, there, there's like profundity and goofiness. And that's part of the, that, that's definitely part of on a personality level, the, the, uh, the dual bodied quality of Pisces, right? Like one, Mm. people often talk about the two fish as if one were, you know, one where one is always an alcoholic and the other is some transcendent thing. Sometimes one is profound and the other is goofy and they complement each other, even though it's hard to reconcile. Yeah. I um I'm looking through my other files. Uh, other Pisces Moon is like Chris Farley, actor and comedian from the nineties, who's also very kind of like zany. Um this one I I already used as an example in the Aquarius episode because he has a they have an Aquarius stellium, but Eddie Izzard has a Pisces moon mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Noted empath Dick Cheney. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, so you mentioned your musician examples. Mine going back to the the kind of like sad melancholy Pisces thing. I have a good one, which is. Um, you know that cover of there was first you know by Trent Reznor the song Hurt. Um, mm-hmm. Oh Johnny Cash, yeah, Johnny great Cash. musical Pisces legend. Yeah, so that's where I'm going with that. So Trent Reznor wrote the song in the early '90s. It was on one of his early albums, Hurt, and Reznor has Saturn in Pisces in the third house, just playing a somewhat prominent position in his chart since he has 
Capricorn rising. So Saturn's actually the ruler of the ascendant. Mm-hmm. So Reznor writes that in the 1990s. And then um, Johnny Cash, whose career by that time, by the 90s and early t- 2000s, was in some sense like over and he kind of felt left behind. And I then think he there, was in his 70s by that point. Yeah, he was pretty close really to the end of his life. Um, so then he recorded this cover of the Nine Inch Nails of Trent Reznor's song Hurt. Interestingly, guess who suggested that cover to him? Another Pisces, Rick Rubin, who has the Sun, Jupiter, and Mercury in Pisces. Don't have a birth time, so we're not sure what house, but um, very interesting. And Rick Rubin himself, very interesting character in terms of like Pisces studies and his whole approach to like music and everything else, which is more kind of just like vibe based. I was watching this interview with him a few months ago where he was like, I don't really know music in a like a he was talking about like a like a uh, technical sense, but he was just saying, like, I know what sounds right and what sounds good and what feels good in the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's what I go with. And that's what people pay him for as like one of the most famous music producers in, in modern times. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just to get back to Johnny Cash for a second, um, you know, somebody who basically found their way to goth in the middle of country music, you know, he was, um, uh, he was uh, self, the self-proclaimed man in black. Right. And there's, you know, uh, like there's some fun songs, like We Got Married in a Fever, but, um, or Jackson. Um, but, you know, the, the, the uh, Hurt was not a detour into melancholy for Johnny Cash. And yeah. Also, also, you know, for doing Pisces stereotypes, another Pisces addict, right? Big part of his story. Yeah. So, and we have a time for him. So he's he's actually Pisces rising with the Sun and Mercury and Mars all in Pisces in the rising sign in the first whole sign house, as well as the North Node. Um, so we're talking about a Pisces stellium here. And in the early to mid two thousands, he just like recorded this cover of Trent Reznor's song "Hurt," which was just um, somehow it took a song that was already kind of sad and deep but it kind of like put a completely different spin on it and completely melancholy spin which was just wildly successful but also had this like haunting um reflective quality that was really incredible and really amazing yeah and yeah and another thing that um that leonard cohen and johnny cash have in common um is that they would they they would use their uh, religious upbringing and they would use like reference to religious tradition um, without doing, you know, Christian rock or in Leonard Cohen's case, like Jewish uh, folk. Um, But there was like, you know, there was this, there was a, there was a relationship with a spiritual tradition that was personal. And when they did reference something, it was always very meaningful because it was something that they understood. Um, It's, there's no sense of being preached at. Right, mm. um, but there was like drawing on that 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 deep reservoir of religious literature to make works of art. Yeah, for sure. And you see some of that imagery, like in the um, Johnny Cash cover, and he changes one of the lyrics. It's one of the few lyrics that he changes to "Crown of Thorns," like an allusion to Jesus in mm-hmm. the hurt um, lyrics. But it's just really interesting because. It's like it was originally Reznor, a crown of shit, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is more um, 
you know, Trent Reznor. And then it is interesting because Trent Reznor's reaction to it was like once he saw the music video and stuff after initial trepidation of having his, his song covered by this older sort of country artist, um, when he saw it, he had this reaction reportedly of like that Johnny Cash had really made the song his own and had elevated it in, in a way. And it's interesting seeing the, the sort of Pisces chain of events there with um, initially the starting point of Reznor's Saturn and Pisces, and then um, Rick Rubin as a Pisces stellium sort of suggesting it and vibing it out, and like feeling like this might be a good idea. And then Johnny Cash having his Mercury there in Pisces, um, adopting it in that way and making it his own through his own way of just retelling and speaking the same song but giving it a a soul and giving it a, a depth that it almost didn't have in the previous version in a, in a unique way yeah yeah the pisces chain of custody right yeah um there's just something about that and the idea uh you know there's different versions of that but we also see versions of that that we've talked about like the family chain of custody like you know your familial like pisces hereditary line and we've talked about that in previous episodes where i have my own where it's like my mom and dad were both scorpios my grandfather was a scorpio son and so on and so forth that you see things like that in families and a passing down of certain those certain qualities or archetypes but then you also sometimes see that um with people that work together and do certain things as well like in this in this instance there's something about the pisces quality that's almost being um, handed down there or that creates the the connection between those three people absolutely you know in all honesty i do have the feeling a lot of times when i find out someone's a pisces or i meet someone you know and i know they're pisces when i talk to them i do kind of feel like we're all part of a secret pisces conspiracy like we mm -hmm. all know a little something or have access to something that nobody else knows about and maybe right. that's something that everybody feels with their their sign brethren um, but yeah, it feels like a little, little bit of a Pisces conspiracy. I mean, what would, if, if it's like Pisces fight club, what's the rule, first rule of Pisces fight club? I mean, Scorpio's still definitely let you don't talk about Scorpio fight club, but what would be Pisces like rule one um, and two? Well, so one, like, how should we say you shouldn't have to say it. Right. You Mercury, this is not Mercury's domain. It's not Saturn's domain. You don't make rules, and it can't be. Uh, it can't be explicitly stated. Um, like if you know, then you know. Right. It's just conveyed with a look, with a vibe. It, it, it's a vibe. Yeah, I get it. All right, I like that. Um, all right. Are there any other examples that you wanted to mention? I think those are were some of my core ones. Are pretty good at this point. Yeah. Let's not talk about Justin Bieber. I'd like to, if I can disown him, if I can boot him out of the Pisces conspiracy, I would. But yeah, I mean, he's starting his Saturn return. It's interesting seeing, on the one hand, some of the older Saturn and Pisces people starting their Saturn return. Like the uh, fact that Trent Reznor is starting his Saturn return right now is pretty wild and is making me feel kind of old. Um, but also that, you know, some of the people are hitting their first Saturn return right now, like Justin Bieber. That is also pretty, pretty striking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. The uh, well, you know, the the previous uh, uh, the the Saturn Pisces who are having their second return um, are an interesting subgeneration because they all have um, the Pisces Virgo tension, whether they're personal planets there or not. They all have both Uranus and Pluto, 
in Pisces. Mm-hmm. And so like like Cobain and uh Reznor and all all of those uh, the mid sixties people, uh Corgan, um, you know, they all have that tension, right? Which, you know, if you can work it out, can be interesting. Like um Pisces Virgo ten- tension, again, um well resolved looks like Leonard Cohen or um I believe like Richard Tarnas who, if I'm not mistaken, is a Pisces sun with Saturn in Virgo, where, you know, in, in Tarnas's work in Cosmos and Psyche, you have vast historical, uh, historical and planetary cycles backed up with um, minute detail, right? It's that same, like, vast and tiny um, reconciliation or bridging. Yeah, totally. Or even... Um... Robert Downey Jr. is a good example of somebody who had his struggles at one point early in life and where there was a period in the late 90s and early 2000s where it seemed like his struggles with like drug and alcohol abuse were going to really drag him down. And he went from somebody that was like a leading man to somebody who was getting, having trouble getting cast in roles in Hollywood because it was too much of a liability. Um, and he was sort of in and L- out of jail. But then you know, was able to make a comeback and maybe able to overcome some of those issues and, and um, then eventually go on to become one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood for a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, um, you know, uh, it, I don't want to overplay this because I feel like this, uh, this element of Pisces ends up eclipsing others that are important to recognize, mm-hmm. but the, um the how should i say the fall from grace and pursuit of salvation um within and also well outside of like a christian context is something you find relatively often with pisces stories there is the like a fall from grace um you know which in life often looks like and then they got addicted to heroin or then they started doing vodka for breakfast or you know or whatever but yeah. like that, like falling, you know, rising and then falling out of grace through whatever mechanism and then seeking atonement or salvation from, you know, whatever, whatever, uh, uh whatever dragged them, um, into the depths is, uh, is a Pisces thing. Yeah. Uh, one of my most famous ones that was relevant like 10 years ago was like Charlie Sheen who had Saturn and Pisces in the 10th house and, um, you know, was I think he was like the highest paid actor on television for a period of several years, but then through some struggles with um, different like substance abuse and things like that, he just had this wildly public um, sort of implosion where everything sort of fell apart over a period of time in a very, very um, public manner. And then needing to like pick up the pieces and put things back together after that over the course of the past decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, and, and that's interesting, right? Because we're, we're talking about Saturn in Pisces. Um, we're, you know, uh, as I joked at the very beginning, it's sort of mandatory Pisces. Um, mm. Even if you're, you know, Sun and Virgo, you're a practical person, like getting dragged into um, these Piscean places and challenges and storylines, right? Like, um, you know, uh, becoming lost or, de- um, you know, it's interesting. We talk about with uh, we talk about dissolution. Right with water, water dissolves things. We talk about a person's dissolution, right, which is often what's happening. Um, you know, when they're in the throes of a, a sort of long way down storyline, right, where you know, like the person loses 
a sense of who they are and who they should be and their relationship to the world. Um, and dissolving is neutral, right? Dissolution can be very positive, right? For example, <clears throat> the dissolution of a kidney stone uh, is what you would long for if you had a kidney stone. Um, but the dissolution of, you know, of identity and place in the world and connection um, is not good. Right. But, and then, but sometimes people find themselves there. They find something there that's really valuable in hitting rock bottom because it's only in hitting that point um, and experiencing the loss of everything that you truly find empathy for everyone um, or can relate to the hardship of other people through experiencing that yourself. And there's almost something about that process that maybe is really important, especially for Saturn and Pisces. And can sometimes um, lead to great inspiration. Like I'm thinking of like Frida Kahlo and her Saturn in Pisces. And obviously she had other things going on in her chart, mm -hmm. but just the way in which a lot of her hardships and, and traumas and, and losses in life or, or even um, deaths and other things or injuries ended up informing her artwork and her paintings and how through her paintings she was able to escape and able to not just have inspiration, but also have an escape from the bounds of her physical, um, you know, restraints, like being stuck in bed and stuff and not being able to do anything else, but then finding a sort of escape creatively through painting. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. The uh, Saturn in Pisces is a confinement in one's imagination. Yeah. Which yeah. is where all the nightmares live, of course. Sometimes all the nightmares. Well, I mean, are... night, nightmares are. Uh, I mean, there are bad things in reality, but you know, nightmares are all dreams. You know, and, and I think it's really important to include nightmares whenever we talk about a Pisces being dreamy, or we talk about like just the layer of reality that dreams are um, mm -hmm. that intersects with ours. Yeah, you know, in in waking reality, all horror is finite. Right, but dreams dreams have infinite bliss and also boundless horror. Mm. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, for some reason it makes me think of Robert Zoller, who was an astrologer who passed away a few years ago. He had Pisces rising and the moon in Pisces with um the ruler, Jupiter in Scorpio in the ninth house. And I remember him telling me at one point about how he was really sick growing up. Um and that kept him confined to bed sometimes. But in that, he would read a lot of books. And that was his initial, eventual, like gateway eventually into astrology was through that, um, through literature and other things of, like that, eventually heading in that direction. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, okay. Um, that might be good for examples just of standalone Pisces stuff. We're starting to get into different planetary placements in this sign mm -hmm. we might want to continue on through some of our contrast because one of the things i usually like to do in these episodes is just start doing some deliberate comparisons between pisces and some of the other signs that we haven't contrasted yet um how does that sound to you it sounds great all right so why don't we start we've already done this a little bit um but why don't we start by contrasting because it'll be shorter with the other two water signs so Pisces is the mutable water sign, but then we also have Cancer, which is the cardinal water sign, and we have Scorpio, which is the fixed water sign. Um, 
I know that we've talked oftentimes about like water analogies, and one of the water analogies I like with Scorpio as fixed water is like an ice cube, um, which is something that's like hard and somewhat immovable unless you melt it. Um, and, and there's certain circumstances in which it can become flexible, but its initial starting point is sort of something hard. Whereas with Pisces, we're talking about like the ocean or something that is already in its most movable and impressionable state. Yeah, I would add to that. Um, I think with, with Scorpio and fixed water, I think of liquids moving in one direction. Um, one example drawn from the scorpion's body being the hyperdermic action of the stinger, right? Which is also, you know, how medicine uh, or many medicines are injected, right? But it's water moving in one direction. You have a stream or river which flows in one direction. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, if, if we look at a large standing body of water like an ocean, the way it's back and forth, and then there are subtle currents and highways underneath it that change over time. You know, there, there are hidden streams, and like there's not one direction of movement. It's not like the water flows um, from New England to Spain, right, in one direction. It's, it's, the, it's very confusing. Mm, right. So, in terms of the things, so they're both um, nocturnal or uh, feminine signs, they're both water signs. We're talking here mainly about the difference between the modality of fixed versus mutable. They also have the difference of like Mars as the ruler of Scorpio versus Jupiter, and that more almost like the optimism versus the, the pessimism to some extent of Scorpio. I'm trying to think of some of the other qualities first, maybe how do they get along or what is it that they share in common where they see eye to eye on things? Um, I think one of the things is having an almost like emotional or like intuitive sense of like vibing things out and and having mm-hmm. a, a vibe about things and having an orientation maybe towards life or towards circumstances and events that is based on some sort of like almost like instinctual level to a certain extent. Mm, yeah, yeah. Well, I would say that both like have an appreciation for intuition, but I, I think, and I speak as someone who. I am completely surrounded by Scorpio and Scorpio rising in my life. Um, like almost everybody I, I, I like work with, who I'm married to, a lot of my friends, like it's just Scorpios all the way down, either rising or sun or lots of planets. Um, I think Scorpio and Pisces agree strongly that there's more going on than you can see on the surface. Right. They're both interested in what is occluded or mysterious and um, think that that is relevant to take into consideration before figuring out how to proceed. Like they're, they're they both agree that things are there are things beneath the waves and we should we should figure that out. That's great. I love that. Um, so one version of that might be thinking of like lo- looking for the big picture things, the things happening behind the scenes that almost like. I don't know how else to phrase it, but like the conspiracy theory, the thing of like, you know, what's really going on perhaps as being um, an orientation for both signs. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, right? Because it's like, okay, what's really going on? And then there's an instant agreement that like, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. We should figure that out. Mm-hmm. And bringing different, perce- I think different frames to that, but both very interested in that question. Right. Because it goes back to how Pisces is looking at the big picture 
whereas Scorpio is digging down deep and getting to the bottom of things. And I think in doing that, they both sometimes can be interested in going to the same place. Yeah, definitely. There's yeah, what's under what's going on underneath. And I, I would say that something that the two share that is just a water sign thing that cancer is also interested in um, is uh, there's a great interest in motive when thinking about people. Mm. There's what people did, but why did they do that? Right. Like what, like understanding motive for different reasons, I think is very important to all of the water signs. Mm. That makes Where sense. are they coming from? Why, why did they say that? Right. Um, all right, so those are th things that they get along and reasons why they get along. What are differences between Scorpio versus Pisces? Oh, differences? Um, what is something they maybe clash on or that we would use to differenti differentiate them? Um, yeah, so I would say here's a Pisces. The Pisces sort of critique of Scorpio is Scorpio gets stuck on things and takes things too personally. Mm, right. And then why don't you give me the Scorpio uh, critique of Pisces rather than me? Um, <laughs> we've got a Scorpio right here. I don't need to right. stand in for Scorpio. No, I think that's a really good one. Uh, I think that the reverse would be um, being too flaky and not being um, serious enough about things or not treating the interpersonal relationship and the trust that it involves with the level of seriousness i don't know how to explain that but the um the level of like intensity of the interpersonal relationship while sometimes i think virgo and scorpio connect on that sometimes in having an emotional um, connection things and caring about things deeply emotionally i think sometimes the um the laxness of pisces can sometimes be hard for for scorpio yeah, I, I see or that. Um, lack lack of consistency, I guess I should say. Yeah, w w the way that uh, I, I can see that it with Scorpio, I see um, people being like, "Are you committed?" Right, like commitment, loyal, like emotional, like commitment, loyalty, like um, you know, with with Scor Scorpio is very much like, "Are we on the same team? Or are we not on the same team? Are you are we doing? Are you doing this? Or are you not doing this?" And Pisces, like back and forth energy mm. i see being very frustrating sometimes to my many uh scorpio um uh friends and companions and marriage partners that makes sense um all right so let's go back to uh pisces and cancer and some of the contrast there of of the things that they connect with versus the things that are a little bit different between those two signs hmm. it's interesting because you have both cancer and pisces placements yeah, and I have the ruler of Pisces in Cancer, um, so I might I might be worse at this. Mm. Oh, let's see. <clears throat> I, I would say that. Uh, so, in you know, in terms of agreements, um, Pisces and Cancer are both really interested in personal the exploration of personal depth. Of like all of the layers of um, a person's mind and psychology, and the you know different ecologies of feeling inside that. Um, there, I think there's a point of agreement there. Again, I, I think the the point of disagreement is going to be similar to to Scorpio, but but meaningfully different. And that Pisces is just wants 
the frame to be bigger. Um, Cancer sticks with a very personal, like tightly, um, uh, much more tightly bounded um, sort of frame. I when I think of yeah. uh, cancer, I think of like um, like uh, building the shell around the one oasis where the fresh water comes up, and that that's that's life and death. It's super important. Only only family and chosen family allowed inside, and that like that's where the water is. That's who gets the water, and that's it. Um, and so there's an intensity of relationship that is, you know, similar to Scorpio, but 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 meaningfully different. Um, and but the again the 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 Pisces difference, and this is a sect difference. So um, both Cancer and Scorpio have night sect planets. Um, you know, the Moon and Mars. They're both very personal, right? Much closer to Earth. Whereas Jupiter is a giant gas giant and, um, you know, much further away than either the, than Mars or the moon. And just wants the framing to be bigger and less personal. All of the day planets are bigger and less personal. That makes a lot of sense. So it's like cancer's orientation towards wanting to help out, like, and to support and provide sustenance to like the family unit or you know, whatever the tribal unit is, like the country, like one's, one's country use and like nationalism sometimes, or, or just different units of identifying who's family and then doing what you can to support that versus Pisces having a more universal orientation towards wanting to help and, and wanting to be supportive, like, you know, helping an inter international charity or doing volunteer work at like a soup kitchen or something like that. Is much more of like a Pisces thing compared to to Cancer in like wanting to just like support one's family and like be there for them and always. Yeah, yeah. The the um the energy the the same water is much more diffuse in Pisces, which allows it greater scope. But uh, I think both Scorpio and Cancer are frustrated at the lack of um the the lack of concentration of the water be like no we're we're doing we're trying to put it all right here because this is what's important right the lack of discrimination yeah yeah or what might be read as that or a lack of um let's say let me think focus is focus intensity it. like in the of the intensity focus of the stream of like the output of energy yeah that like concentration of emotional resources um, both are much more are mo both much more concentrated in Cancer and in in Scorpio. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. All right, perfect. So I think that's good for the water signs. Um, moving on to the other ones that Pisces shares in common is the four mutable signs, and we've already talked about this quite a bit with um, Pisces and Virgo. Uh, so the other two we need to talk about are. Um, Sagittarius, the other Jupiter-ruled sign, which is also uh, a mutable sign ruled by Jupiter, um, but it's a masculine sign and it's a fire sign compared to the water of Pisces. And then also um, Gemini, ruled by Mercury, which is a mutable sign, but it's an area sign and is also contrasting with masculine or diurnal. Yeah, so let's do Sag first. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, you know, in terms of Jupiterian roles, um, Sagittarius is much more preaching the truth, lecturing on the truth, uh, active, uh, you know, either putting it out there to try to convince uh, or, um, uh, or seeking it, hunting it, 
right? Yeah. Like the the whole archetype of the spiritual seeker is a Sagittarius thing. They're hunting down, um, you know, what's real or holy or good. Or the Whereas globe, Pisces, the globe trotter, like the ex, like literally externally, like traveling around in search for something, or or wandering or looking around um, externally versus like the internalization of the wandering in Pisces. Yeah, well, and, and I would also say like you know, pursuit is such a key Sagittarius thing. Mm. Pursuit is not a Pisces thing. Um, you know, the um, again that it's it's more you get the those storylines where you kind of stumble into a mystery, um, and reality itself is a mystery, and it's always there, right? Um, the self is a mystery; it's always there. Like the um, the object of how should we say salvation, transcendence, truth, mystery. It's just omnipresent with Pisces, um, whereas with Sag, there's a going in search of uh, a thing, and often uh, there's uh, there's the de- desire to accomplish a thing, which is much more incidental in Pisces. I think. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, with Sagittarius, one of the things that came up when we talked about that sign was the overwhelming optimism of Sagittarius and the need for that optimism, like that optimism being like a driving force in some instances that will push forward and sometimes allow them to do more and go further than others might be able to or dream of through sheer force of like will and that optimism, like carrying them forward, like pretty much like almost like some in some instances, like the closest you can get to whatever the real version is of that notion of like manifesting something of of just like being carried forward through that optimism. Um, while there's a positiveness or an optimism there in Pisces as well that they share in common, um, it's interesting that one of the themes we've come across a lot is still like a, a, also like a sadness or melancholy sometimes with Pisces, which is an interesting mm-hmm. c- contrast despite them both being Jupiter ruled signs. Oh, yeah, right. Like that when, when we name melancholy signs, Sag is probably going to be last or second last on that list right right yeah with um uh there so there's a in a similar issue of concentration with sag as there is with scorpio it's not the water that's being concentrated it's the jupiter power right Mm. um and it's literally coming to a single point which is you know what an arrow is and if we think of the the horse which this the centaur evokes Horses have to have blinders so that they go along the right path. Um, Because if they can just see everything, if they do Pisces vision, you know, with eyes on each side of their head like fish, um, they get super distracted. And so there's this concentration of everything to get something done in Sagittarius. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And that that productiveness. um, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm trying to think of anything else. Well, I would I would say that um yeah with with Sag you you very often see um a try, how should we say it? a a tremendous amount of energy being focused on either accomplishing something or being a particular kind of person that like it like to like to achieve the elevated version of oneself or the you know the the, the more divine version of the self like there the, there's this striving um either internally or externally where Pisces is much more interested in understanding what's already here and what's already going on. Like maybe, you know, um, 
you know, maybe that wasn't a mistake. Maybe that was a, maybe I'm being, you know, maybe I'm just moving with the Tao. I'm not being lazy. Maybe that is, maybe, um, maybe moving in what I thought was in concert with the universe was just an excuse, but there's like the, like trying to understand what's already going on rather than like, I'm going to be that I'm going to accomplish that with, um, I think Sag is the sign that best approximates the classic, um, uh, quest story where, you know, there's a problem. Um, here's your sacred mission, go and achieve the quest, the entire world or kingdom or whatever depends, depends on you doing the sacred thing. I'm mm-hmm. um, like, that's sad. Yeah. Like almost a hero's journey type thing. Yeah. Whereas Pisces is like, Oh, what is the nature? Like what is, you know, why, why did this story come about? Is the dragon our enemy? Why is the dragon angry? Um, is right. The, you know, it's, it's, it's like that moral of the story where you're not slaying the dragon. You're the one that finds out that the dragon just has like a nail in its foot. And by removing it, you befriend it. And the whole thing is resolved. Yeah. What, through like you, non, nonviolent, ironically nonviolent means. Yeah. Right. It's, um, with Pisces, the entire story can change by changing the understanding of what's going on. Mm. Right. Oh my God, I was the dragon the whole time. Right. Like that, that sort of, that, that, uh, trope of the like schizophrenic, um, uh, protagonist where the story changes for the viewer, because then you see the other side of the protagonist, like, um, to a certain degree, like in fight club, you're like, Oh, this was the same person the whole time. Um, there, and there are a variety of other stories like the final fantasy seven, um, where like the story changes because it catches up to reality because the person is becoming the protagonist is becoming more integrated in their perceptions. Love that. I'm just looking up some directors <laughs> like that. It, it, I, I think I'm framing Pisces accurately here as fascinating, but useless. Um, <laughs> it's like, why don't you go slay the dragon? Well, I'm trying to understand the Genesis of dragons and humans. And how did this story come about in the first place? And <laughs> Yeah, who is the um I'm trying to think I was just looking up like David Fincher and he has Jupiter and Pisces which is funny in terms of a uh, Fight Club and the movie you just mentioned but who was the other major person that became like that where every in the 90s after um The Sixth Sense um oh 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 the, with a twist the Shyamalan twist M Night Shyamalan okay I'm but yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it, it's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's its own genre or category of trope. Um, gotcha. another one would be a memento. Oh yeah. That was uh well, that's interesting one because that's, um, the same director we were talking about earlier with, with inception. So interesting, like recurring themes like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's his name? I don't remember. Um, What was the other so w- with the memento like expand on that oh um so in memento the protagonist doesn't um like loses their memory every day and so they you know they wake up and they have all these notes written to themselves so they can figure out what's going on but they have to start over again and figuring out what's going on and who they are every single day right and it's also told like backwards so it's like that and i think of that like a, something that's told in reverse chronology, but also other types of storytelling, like non-linear storytelling, I think would be a Pisces thing. Yeah. And that, that goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning about the relationship to time. 
in time being sometimes like more fluid than other people or, or then sometimes it's normally conceptualized or treated by other signs? Yeah, it's definitely, especially the, 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 the two signs which precede Pisces, right? It's definitely, the, it's definitely experiential or soul time rather than calendar time that Pisces is interested in. That makes a lot of sense. And um, it makes me think of like, you know, Quentin Tarantino, who has Jupiter and Pisces, and how his most successful movie to date was um, Pulp Fiction. And that part of the novelty of Pulp Fiction was that it wasn't told sequentially, like parts of the story are told out of order. And it doesn't all become clear until like the very end, like what the different sequences are that you're watching at different points. Yeah, yeah, that, um, yeah, that, the, and that particular quality that, um, everything makes sense only when all of the context is there. That's the Pisces. That's, that's in a sense the holy grail that Pisces is looking for, right? It's like, well, there's this, but, you know, like it, it, it the meaning isn't clear until you can hold it against this, this, and that. Yeah. And that goes back archetypally to the big picture thing that you've got to be able to see the big picture in order to fully understand things because if you zoom in too far which is the opposite which is more of a virgo thing sometimes you might miss you know the forest for the trees yeah right like you get the details of that uh of that that instant or or, or those happenings correctly but what it means in terms of the overall plot uh, isn't revealed by those details for sure all right, so that's brought it, in. It just one, one quick um, note on that. So, you know, if we were drawing houses with uh, Aries being the very first, then Pisces is the 12th, right? And so that there's some resonance there. But then also, if we look at the Thema Mundi, right, the, the chart of the creation of the world, Pisces is the ninth house. It's the, which is, you know, like what's really going on is the question, <laughs> is the question of the ninth house, where we see the religion of the native and what they think reality is. Yeah. And going back to the big picture thing, that is the other thing that Pisces and Sagittarius really share in common is just that big mm -hmm. picture orientation. And then that's contrasted with Virgo, as we've already talked about, but then also Gemini. Um, so maybe that's what we should focus on next. What is the contrast between Pisces versus Gemini? It's interesting, right? Because we're, we're doing another um, Mercury ruled sign, but it's not opposite and it's not Earth. Right. right, Virgo likes uh, Virgo values a concreteness that Gemini, you know, incidentally values, um, but it, it's not a it's not a core thing. Um, so I, you know, as far as qualifications and personal relationship to this, I have a Gemini moon, right? And several of the examples I gave are also Pisces with Pisces suns with Gemini moons. Um, so I would say Gemini and Pisces both have a huge range of motion um being uh air and water and both mutable um there's a there what they have in common is that there's a there are a wide variety there's a great range of states of being and of ways of looking at themselves like a gemini will not have something with the sun and gemini um will not have like a simple idea of who they are Right, they'll need to explain all their different sides, and then you know this and that. Um, and a Pisces will give you something similar, as, uh, something uh, similarly large and complicated, and seemingly self-contradictory. Um, I think the difference is that Gemini didn't take it so seriously. 
Gemini is like happy to like be like, yep, life is full of contradictions. Right. And to be less like disturbed by that. Yeah. Like you don't have the, um, if we're talking about sort of, uh, uh, sign stereotypes, you don't have like the sad Gemini is less a thing than the Gemini that has, um, you know, than the Jekyll and Hyde Gemini. Um, because Gemini is active if there's like the negativity isn't just like a sadness that they sit with. Um, it's sort of like, okay, well, fuck the world. I'm going to, you know, the world has played a trick on me. I'm going to play tricks on the world. Um, there, you know, it's much more active. Um, and yeah, and doesn't want to like just sit with the, the endlessness of something, the uncountable endlessness of something is not Gemini fuel. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I can, um, cause the moon in Gemini is the ruler of my ascendant. So I have strong Gemini motivation and I, you know, I literally will feel, you know, I'll be doing a, you know, I'll be two leagues deep in the Pisces sea. And then the Gemini side is like, yeah, but fuck this. Let's go do something else. Right. <laughs> or like, like, yeah, but like that's there, but like, I don't know. Are we doing anything useful? Like, is it, are we, are we learning anything from drifting slowly deeper? And sometimes the answer is yes, but the Gemini is sort of like, do, is it necessary to withstand the pressure of the depths? Right. Like Gemini, just like, uh, we talked about like soggy winged drowned mercury. Um, you know, it's not, um, the, like the, the, like slowly increasing pressure of the deep sea. It's not a natural environment for Gemini. It's, you know, it's uncomfortable. Right. They can appreciate, um, Pisces, like imaginativeness and flexibility. Um, but don't want to, they, they, they don't want to hang out with the sad Pisces too long. Unless they're in the same person. There's definitely an orientation towards um, keeping things light and keeping things a little bit more surface level with Gemini, which is is definitely a bit of a tension with Pisces. Yeah, yeah. Gemini wants to move nimbly across the surface, for sure. And Gemini um, wants to know that there are depths below, but doesn't want to get stuck in them. Right. That makes sense. Uh, famous. Pisces Gemini contrast nativity is Alexander Graham Bell. Who developed like the telephone and, and telegraph and had Sun, Saturn, and Mercury in Pisces squaring Jupiter in Gemini. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So communication. All right. That's pretty good for Gemini. I think that might be it for the mutable axis. Um, so what comes after that when it comes to Pisces? Um, we've talked about, so we got to do usually like the sextiles done the trines. So the others would be the sextiles. So Pisces relating to, um, either Capricorn, the sextile in front or to, um, Taurus, which is the sextile on the other side. Okay. Which would you like to begin with? Um, let's do Capricorn just because it's easier because we've talked about it a little bit in terms of the contrast with Saturn already with Aquarius, but this one is a softer contrast where Pisces has more in, in common with Capricorn um, being also a uh, feminine sign or being a nocturnal sign or a yang sign. Um, I think there's more relatability between these two as an earth and water sign. Yeah, I, I would say that whereas Pi- with Pisces, we're, you know, um, again, with like yin or feminine or nocturnal signs, it's sort of like, okay, I'm in this situation, right? Rather than I cause this situation. Like 
with Pisces, it's I'm in the situation of being conscious in a world, right? Which is as much immaterial as it is material. I think with Capricorn, you also have this sort of awareness of, oh, okay, so I'm in the world of, I'm in a world of both physical and social laws. And, you know, Capricorn is much more concrete than Pisces, but both of them are very interested in the field in which they find themselves, right? Capricorn says, oh, I'm in a mountainous region. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, ruled, <laughs> it, uh, it's ruled by a state government, and then that's ruled by a national government. And, you know, it's like, what are the, what are the rules of where I am? And Pisces is also, Pisces is, you know, half interested in that, but is also interested in the, you know, all the invisible stuff that's, um, you know, that's non-material and non-concrete. Mm-hmm. They make, um, the, the combination can make for like very, if we're see if we're thinking about it, uh, the Capricorn modifying the Pisces, like very structurally effective, sad Pisces, They're like, oh yes, this is the world, not only the world of the soul, but the world of matter. Um, and this is, you know, this is what we can do here and we, this is what we can and can't build here. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point since Capricorn is one of the other goth signs and there yeah. is a similarity there connection in terms of sometimes the connection through a uh, sort of melancholy sometimes. Yeah, I think um what Pisces can offer Capricorn is uh some sense of redemption um or salvation, not not that they can, you know, not making the world go away, but like redeeming the fallen world. Whereas um, um, Capricorn can help Pisces, you know, really see the 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 mechanics um, of the world as it is and has been. Um, and yeah, they they you're right. It's another God sign. They can totally work together um, to make beautiful um, industrial dance music. Right, that is the most important thing. Um, all right. I think that's pretty good. There's like something there else there, but it's not quite formulated yet. So maybe we can move on to the other sign, um, which has much greater connection and easier flow because the connection of the ruler, but Pisces and Taurus, which is a fixed earth sign, um, ruled by Venus and Venus also has its exaltation in the sign of Pisces. So I think there's even closer connection here between these two um pisces has a sort of like optimism and the escapism and i think there's a a bit of that when it comes to taurus because with taurus we saw earlier in this series sometimes like the escape or the indulgence of like sensual pleasures and and the um attractiveness of of material things and, and the enjoyment of those i think there's a similarity in terms of Pisces and Taurus liking to enjoy or to indulge in like the good things or the nice things in life. Absolutely, um, you know that, and that brings us to the the exaltation of Venus and Pisces. Um, you know, so with all of the cosmic and sometimes melancholy meanderings of Pisces, what it often brings you back to is just the nature of experience. Be like, and so what is the argument against? enjoying what there is to enjoy right mm-hmm. like there's no like all you know all those <laughs> all, all those those pisces twists and turns you come back to 
a very pro Venus place, right? Where it's like, well, you should probably be nice to people, enjoy your relationships, and enjoy what there is to enjoy. You know, whether that's food, drink, friendship, art, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, Pisces gets to it differently. Um, but that's a huge point of agreement with Taurus. Um, you know, if Taurus says, Hey, here's here's a really nice thing, Pisces instantly says, I love nice things. Why wouldn't I? The world is a veil of suffering. We should, <laughs> you know. Right. And it's a veil of suffering, but why don't we try to make it better for other people? I think is something that I see as a recurring theme with Pisces that seems really important that keeps coming up over and over again. Like, why not try to improve it? For those that are having a hard time, or for those that are less able to, you know, enjoy it because of something that's holding them back. Yeah, although I would say that I think Pisces is equally self and other interested in, like, is it's the same suffering, right? Like, it's the same compassion. You have the same, like, uh, you know, I don't know. I could be wrong, or I'm speaking too personally here. Um, but I do think with Pisces, it's sort of like I am part of the joy and suffering of the universe. So are you. Um, like there's a the tendency to weight that equally. Um, and so it's not like you know. I think Pisces will use as an excuse their altruism. Be like, no, I'm doing this because I care so much about other people. But they generally care just as much about themselves, not more. It's not like secret narcissism. It's just sort of like, you know, we're both we're you know we're both species of experiencing beings, and um, you know why not have the good chocolate with uh, with Taurus? You we should all have the good chocolate, right? That makes sense. Um, I'm just looking up some my Venus Venus and Pisces examples, and it's like sometimes artists like like Vincent Van Gogh who had Venus and Mars on the midheaven with Neptune mm. and Pisces. Um, and there is his char with cancer rising. Um, or I also have another one, which is, um, Hans Christian Andersen was a Venus and Pluto in Pisces because he was born in 1805, mm. um, and wrote, um, you know, famous children's like stories and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, Venus Pisces is a nice position. It's um, it, you know, uh, so one thing that I think is important to say, um, and this is part of the Pisces vibe in general. The reason why Venus exalts there um, is it it's Venus is good at letting go of things in, or good at letting better at letting go of things in Pisces and the other place where it's strong. And not as focused on form. There's a little bit of a like, if it emerges, enjoy it. Like if something, if if it's there to enjoy, you enjoy it. And and if it goes away, it goes away. Right. The uh, Pisces is the only mutable sign where Venus is uh, very happy to be. Right. Because it's there, and then it's gone, and it's easier to let go. Like Taurus is not great at letting go, and Libra with Libra it brings all of these like. In a, in a sense, the rules of proper Venusian interaction um, to Venus, which you know is supportive of Venus, but like things have to be this way and that way, and it goes back to some of what I was saying about the like sloppy genius energy that Pisces sometimes has, where it's mm. like no, no, it, like it's not in like it doesn't have to be perfect. In some ways, it's better if it's not perfect. Um, like that little bit of flaw 
Like the small flaw on a beautiful person makes them more beautiful than if they were flawless. Um, and it makes it easier to accept. Um, you know, it's easier to be liked um, if you're imperfect, if you present yourself as imperfect versus if you try to present, you try to live up to perfection, right? Um, then you're going to off put people and be frustrated yourself. Whereas Pisces is like a little bit of, little bit of the other fish with the, the perfect, you know, the beautiful one. That's really important because that brings up a super important keyword for Pisces, which is humility. I think Pisces, more than any other sign, is able to develop a sense of humility, and that, that seems like it's one of its core uh, principles for Pisces. So I know what you're getting. I'm, I'm searching to see if we can characterize that more deeply, or I feel, I feel like humility is not the wrong word. But that there's like a subversion of or a subcategory of humility that's bang on for Pisces. Like Virgo can, some... I would say Virgo is very good at humbling themselves before a task or before accomplishing something. Um, humble, like you know, um, like setting the ego aside in order to X, you know, or Y. Right. Um, Oftentimes to. Virgos can be very, very helpful to like help somebody else do something. Yeah, yeah, and and really willing to like set themselves aside to be of service. I with Pisces, I think it's the big context seeking that just makes the individual feel less important or less centered. Like it, it like a lot of the other things I was saying, where I think the. The Pisces energy is like, oh, I'm one instance of an archetype, or my suffering, my particular suffering in this case is one of many versions. Like that suffering has happened a hundred times, that or a hundred, uh, ten billion times. Like this is just, oh, I'm doing, oh, I'm having this joy. Billions have had this joy before. I think that context, um, yeah, I, I think that, like that might be. I think that it, um, as we say, drains the ego to some degree that might come across as humility. Yeah, there's another theme also we're getting to here. One of the things that comes up, like in Christianity, for example, in like Jesus and sacrificing yourself for something bigger. And that idea of like self sacrifice sometimes seems like a Pisces thing. And sometimes that's a positive thing. And sometimes it's about, you know, devoting yourself to something bigger or, um, donating your time or resources or other things in order to help the those that are less advantaged than you or the disadvantaged. Um, sometimes it can be, you know, spun in a not great way where it can be like sort of painting yourself as the victim or something like that, like um, unnecessary self-sacrifice or unnecessary undermining of oneself. Um, and one's own ego and own needs and things like that, like giving up your own needs when it's almost going too far and you're like pushing that tendency so that you're not supporting yourself by mm -hmm. just giving everything away um, and having no boundaries or no um, you know, stopping point for that. But it seems like there's some, some themes there that we're getting to as well. Yeah, I would say that, that is, um, those cluster very strongly around the third decade. Um, that one, like they're there in other parts of the sign, but really the third decan um, has that as a focus, and it's um, it's searching for something worth giving everything to, right? Right, and I, I think um, 
one of the the giant frustrations there and uh, great sources of of pain is um, giving everything to something and then finding out that it wasn't worth it, right? Mm-hmm. That what you thought, you know, if we were we're talking about Jesus, Jesus, um, in you know, in that story, Jesus literally expurgates the sin of all of humankind with that one death, right? Like that's a much more glorious, wonderful thing. Than just one, than just having a cool rest of your life. Also, he's God and comes back in a couple of days. But like yeah. that's a, you know like that's that like that's the kind of thing that's worth self sacrifice for. But um, you know in in life, um, <laughs> you know you don't get that kind of deal. And so when people are they they want to be able to give everything to something or someone, mm-hmm. and then it just ends up like oh that was just you know a normal person. They, uh, <laughs> they weren't love. It's, it wasn't love itself that you gave yourself to. It was just, you know, some person of average virtue and vice or, you know, a, a cause, um, where you thought that this would really change things and make it better. And it's like, well, it kind of helped. Right. And the, I, I think that kind of seeking, uh, seeking what you can, you know, what's worth, um, filling the cup of blood for is very important, especially to third decan, but it is a, it is a, a Pisces thing. Um, cause I, again, I think it comes from the limited valuation of the self, right? It's like, well, I'm not that important. Um, yeah. And sometimes that can be not a good thing. Like the under undervaluing of oneself or, or m- maybe some of the things we were talking about earlier about feeling sadness or, or some of those feelings can be through, uh, Almost like diminu- diminution. I'm having trouble finding the word. Is it especially diminution, diminution, something like that? But especially, it might be something, especially with Sun and Pisces, and maybe that's why this association happens because we're specifically talking about those that have the Sun there and like the ego sometimes being subsumed under something larger. Um, but some of the ways that that comes to is sometimes by undervaluing the self or one's own ego in a way. Yeah, well, if we think about the sun in Pisces from just an essential dignity point of view, almost every other planet uh, um, does better in Pisces than the sun. The sun's really got, it's got no minor dignities. It's, um, I guess the best you could say is that it's friends, the, the sun and Jupiter are friends and that it's visiting one of Jupiter's places, but the sun doesn't particularly like water signs. Um there are no solar decans. Um, <laughs> there are no there are no bounds of the sun, um, and so yeah, the sun um, the sun isn't actively impeded in the same way that Mercury is, but kind of has nothing to work with. Um, it's yeah, like the the you know if we look at sort of solar things like um, creating a um, a strong, healthy, um, stable identity. Um, there's nothing about being in Pisces that's really particularly helpful for that. Like, it's all very fascinating, right? But none of these like big themes and all this stuff that, but it's like, yeah, but (laughs) yeah, but who are you? Um, that's going to be the same as tomorrow. And we see that to a certain degree with the absolute lack of aspect between Leo, the sun's home and Pisces. It's not even opposite. It's just sort of completely sideways from it. I think part of that is it maybe go back to I have something here about the charity inclination of um, Pisces and that inclination 
going to its ultimate conclusion, which is like, you know, what more could you give? What's more important that you could give up than yourself and your entire self to something mm-hmm. and to give that up to a cause or towards some bigger thing to mm-hmm. give yourself great, to that entire in its entirety? Yeah, a great work, a great love. Because, um, yeah, I, I, I think that a little bit of the, the default Pisces relationship to the solar is sort of like, well, what is this good for? Like, I mean, I guess it's okay, but could I trade it for something cool? Right. Could I trade it for something? Could I trade it for something Jupiterian? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Could I trade it for something Venusian? Um, I think that, you know, the default Pisces answer is like, yes. Um, Like, those are both much, those are better, those are greater goods than the solar good. Right. Um, Quick example. Um, uh, George Washington, right. Who was the, uh, um, the uh, military leader during the revolutionary war and was offered kingship, like literally offered the sun, the archetypal sun role. And was like, eh, could we trade that for something better? Right. Like let's, let's, let's try democracy instead a very limited form of democracy, but like, eh, could we do something instead of the solar? Right. So he set the precedent of giving up the presidency and like relinquishing power for the greater sake of the institution and like the ideal of the new government that they had created. Right. It's like, it would be cooler if we, you know, started something that maybe doesn't replicate the mistakes of the past. We try something that nobody that, or, you know, that, um, you know, we've never tried before. Like that would be much cooler than having a crown, like choosing the Jupiterian or the Venusian over the, um, the solar. Yeah, that makes so much sense. All right. Um, that's really good. I don't know how we got there from Taurus, but that was, pre- <laughs> that was a pretty good digression. And we picked oh, up we, some. Well, we were just talking about, yeah, I think we just started talking about the sun in Pisces and some um, sacrifice. I mean, something I do know that's almost relevant is I do remember a, a friend of mine, an astrologer named Kirk, my, my friend Kirk Kahn, who is an astrologer that was my age. And um, he always wanted to do stuff for the community and he always wanted to give stuff away for free. And we always had this funny tension between us where I always wanted him to create his stuff, but have it support himself. Like when he made posters, he would, al- he would always hardly charge anything for them because he just wanted people to like have that. He wanted to do that community service, even in instances where he was sometimes like struggling financially to get by, um, there was a tension between his greater like idealism towards wanting to contribute to astrology or the astrological community or help out other people. And we did lots of um, great community work with the Association for Young Astrologers and helping you know, young astrologers get to conferences who, who were disadvantaged or didn't have a lot of money to make it to things like that or, or put them up in a room to stay. Um, but there was always a tension of sometimes a tendency to almost self-sacrifice or not support his own material needs at the you know in order to do these other things and trying to constantly tell him that he didn't have to sacrifice one for the other there could be a balance between the two Mm -hmm. that that, that's interesting that brings up um i think a very piscean theme of neglect Mm, right like pisces um pisces as a you know a a sign mode is um you know it's 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 not active like the way that it, it it the way that I think Pisces damages a lot of the time is not by attacking, um, but by neglecting. 
right where and that's right. that's connected to that avoidance uh quality or the totally. not being somewhere else right or attention or care being somewhere else right. and you know that could go for you know you could look at that for parents you could look at that for um also the self right just like neglecting like i don't know that and you know god it, it, i've said this to my i've i thought this a million times like well that's unimportant Right. Mm-hmm. I remember I woke up this morning, looked at my office, and I was like, oh, it's a fucking mess. And I was like, eh, it's not important right now. Right. We need to focus on the big picture and not this individual thing. Yeah. I feel like, eh, that'll, you know, that'll wait. But the, like the, the prioritization plays into what gets neglected um, or avoided. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Neglect is a really great Pisces one because it's not, it's not actively. <clears throat> it's not actively saying no or letting something die or or waste away as a result of an, a deliberate negation or rejection of it. It's it's like an accidental one through almost like avoiding addressing the issue, even though sometimes it can become very pressing. Yeah, it's uh, it's a sin of omission rather than a sin of commission. Um, but you know, you talk to you talk to somebody who who fe- who was uh, severely neglected by their parents, and that that hurts a lot, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, just because you're not screaming profanity at someone doesn't mean that uh, you you know you're not hurting them, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right, back to the signs. So I think we completed the sextiles. I think what's left is just the aversion. So we've talked a lot about Aquarius already. Um, we should talk a little bit next, I think, about the sign that comes after Pisces, which is Aries, and the the disconnect between the two, but also um, I think since we're coming full circle here from where we started, maybe the corrective function that Aries serves over Pisces in order to correct some of the things that Pisces was doing differently. And I think one of the things that we've already gotten to here is while the sun was like not doing great in terms of having essential dignity in Pisces, in Aries, it is in the sign of its exaltation. And I think one of the things about that contrast is the sudden shift towards putting oneself first and to going first and leading in a way as the first, being like the tip of the spear in some instances. Um, but I think part of it is through the correction of putting oneself first. Yeah. <coughs> And there's um, what's interesting about that relationship between Pisces and Aries is we have a a contra-antitial um, mitigation of the aversion, um, and there's something about the vastness of Pisces which doesn't mind concentrating into the single-pointedness of Aries. It's almost it's um, it's natural when you get so big to go back like if you're exploring the center of the wheel or excuse me if you're exploring the the edge of the wheel that's in the center is implied um and i think that's one of the less or one of the the seemingly counterintuitive but easier transitions or relationships between uh signs that don't have a, a classical aspect um you know it's so big that why not just focus on the individual Right, it's so it's so huge that why not? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, in the, I don't know. I always think of um, <laughs> I always think of crawling ashore 
um, with uh, with Aerie from with the Pisces Aries border. And another thing about them that they share is that they're both so they're they're both so uh, so a Pisces might not be thinking of themselves, but there's so much going on internally. And that like huge focus on the internal on the it's an internal world with Pisces, and it's a more much more focused internality with Aries that um, then just expresses. Um, but there there's such a like how should we say subjective or so much of the the person's attention is located subjectively that even though there's like um, a huge versus individual context, it's still like the energy is still all there on the. On what from the from the outside looks like the personal, like the Pisces might be thinking about the world, but it's like oh, they're always just you know they're um, consumed with the with their own thoughts or can you know they're in their own world. And the Aries is very much in its own world, but is then interested in remaking the world around it to resemble that. Mm. One of the contrasts that I think of immediately is how <clears throat> Pisces is like, especially with you know being a Jupiter world sign and Venus having. Its exaltation there, Pisces is like a very peaceful sign, whereas Aries is much more like warlike or combative or at, at the very least like competitive and like wanting to have a competition between two things and wanting to, you know, win an award for excelling over the person it's competing with and being first as a result of its internal qualities. Whereas I think of Pisces instead of wanting to be like the teacher that gives everybody like participation awards so nobody is seen as being unequal or, or anything like that mm, i think pisces is um i yeah so i think pisces can kind of either go cancer or scorpio um if you just edge it nudge it a little bit in either direction pisces takes that whole this is fine. This is just another thing that people do and that conscious beings do um, to conflict. You have lots of military leaders. Um, you have this weirdly uh, disproportionate number of mixed martial arts champions who have Mars and Pisces. Um, it's like uh, blows the statistical distribution out of the water. Um, and it's sort of like, this is fine too, right? Like Pisces is like, like you said, saying yes. Um, there's a lot of like, Sure, conflict too. That's part of the that's part of the big story. Um, but it's not um it's not as important, right? In, uh, as it is with Aries, where it's like you're you're proving something by accomplishing something. There's success and failure. Um, whereas I think Pisces, the relationship to that more martial realm is more um rolling with the punches or being like, yes, conflict too, right? Or kind con- sure, competition too. It's not rejecting conflict. It just may not be as interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Just looking at different Mars and Pisces sign um, natives, and there's a lot of different ones. Um, yeah, I mean, like if you just look at people who are champions in the UFC, you have Anderson Silva. You uh, are one of the greatest of all time. You have Daniel Cormier, who usually makes the greatest of all time list. You have Amanda Nunes, who's on the greatest of all time list. You have uh, Chuck Liddell, who's a legend. You have Michael Bisping, who's a champion. It's not greatest of all time, um, but like it's a weirdly high number of Mars and Pisces. Yeah, one of the things I'm getting as I'm looking through some of these is like the 
will to white to uh, or the the connection between like Aries and Pisces is like the will to fight for something greater than yourself. Um, so like Che Guevara, for example, was a Aries rising with Jupiter and Uranus in Aries, and the ruler of that was Mars in Pisces. Um, with the moon in Pisces in the 12th house, and both of those are being overcome by Saturn in Sagittarius in the 9th house. And he was famous as a revolutionary who, you know, died fighting uh, in a war in a different country, you know, partially for his, his ideals. Yeah. And that, um, that, that uh, third decan of Pisces, which is the give it, you know, give it all to something decan, is Mars rule. And so he has that Mars there, which is like tripling up on that signature. Mm, right. Or another one I'm seeing is like Ralph Nader, for example, uh, famous like sort of left politician in the US who had the sun, Mars, and Mercury in Pisces and pushed for legislation of, of different things like, like seatbelts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So that's pretty. And, and our buddy Johnny Cash. Right. Another Mars and Pisces. Yeah. That's really good. Um, okay. So that's pretty good for Aries. Um, I mean, there's one last thing, which is just Aries I've learned and Mars in general and speed, like understanding the speed as like a basic property of Mars, but also Aries has been interesting. And I don't know how that relates to Pisces because I don't know. What the speed of Pisces would, it's less of a straight line. Like Aries seems like more of a straight line, whereas we have that more digressive or discursive quality with Pisces, the nonlinear quality. Yeah, I think the quality of movement is more distinct than the. Yeah, I mean, the, the quality is very distinct in terms of like lines versus curves. Um, and then, yeah, I would say that um, Pisces can go fast. But it takes a while to get to get the Pisces moving. Like it's like getting the water moving takes some time. Mm. Um, you know, whereas Aries has that that gunshot quality, right? Like the moment of ignition, and now it's full speed. Like the I would say Aries has a capacity for acceleration, um, mm. which no sign has, and especially not Pisces. Yeah, for sure. All right, so that's pretty good, and that brings things full circle there. So the final two things are just the other two signs that are in aversion, which are Leo and Libra. Um, so let's start with Leo, because I think we've already picked up on a lot of stuff when we're talking about the sun in Pisces that connects us with some of the sort of incompatibilities between Leo and Jupiter, since those two signs don't share any of the basic qualities in common of uh, you know, like modality element, etc. Yeah, there's. Um, <laughs> I would say that that is probably the the hardest uh, pair of signs to bridge um, understanding between. Hmm. Um, things are that they're just so different that they're you know they're not even opposed. Then they would have something to argue about. Um, right. You know. Th- those opposed signs are like two sides of the same coin, but here we're just seeing, you know, strangers that don't necessarily share anything in common. Yeah, like the you know, uh, speaking as someone with the sun in Pisces, the like, um, how should I say, like the confidence that people with the sun in Leo have that they understand themselves and are what they are is befuddling. Mm. 
Yeah. Right. It's like, no, 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 you're a mystery. People are mysteries. They're like, yeah, I'm a great mystery. My name is this, you know, it's, it's like the, the straightforwardness is, is befuddling. And I'm sure conversely the like endlessly trying to like layer and meander, um, through solar matters, uh, that Pisces do must seem, um, perplexing and fruitless. <laughs> Yeah, the the especially also the submission of one's like ego and like own self to something greater, I think is something that Leo struggles with a little bit because of Leo's tendency to want to be at the the center of things and to want to put oneself first, which has both good qualities as well as sometimes not great qualities. Yeah, um you know, I think with Leo it's much more an aspiration to be great. Right and to have a great effect on the world, um, but it's you know it, in some ways it's through um, this, um, intensifying the solar and upgrading the solar like a better you know like the better version the stronger version of the self rather than you know with Pisces like completely changing the the narrative or understanding uh, or framing of what a self even is and. You know, is it important to do this or do that? And and just yeah, like the even the elemental like qualities of action are so different. With you know, with Leo, we have um, a capacity to stand and occupy a place and to be something. Whereas um, you know, Pisces is great at lots of things, but occupy holding holding one place and. Um, one mode of being to be you know that character or play that that one role and nothing else um is very contra the the instincts and the the energy of pisces yeah to center one oneself or to treat oneself as the center of the universe is not is very different for pisces and is not its initial inclination well and just to get stuck or what it feels like we're getting stuck into identifying with like yep this is me this is what i do this is who i am you can depend on that yeah with pisces it's like well i don't know we'll see tomorrow i'm still i'm still learning about i'm still trying to figure out who i am i'll I'll let you know what i think is interesting about my endless meandering (laughs) right because there is that is the one central thing that leo understands and it is fixed in the fixed sign is just like the sense of self and like who i am versus pisces is belief sometimes going to the extreme of like that there is no self of, of lack of selfhood and um that the self itself might even be like an illusion or might be you know like in some of those spiritual traditions like buddhism or something like that that is something actively uh that you're supposed to realize is not permanent the impermanence of the self mm-hmm. yeah yeah or um you know i would i'm this i'm austin now and there's probably um how should we say like uh, i'm austin this life i'll probably be something else in a different life and i won't i'm not just either of those things i'm the thing that connects those things which is mysterious right which i can't present to you or um you know even clearly frame for myself Mm. right Right. just as another example yeah that makes sense which it's funny because then you think of things like reincarnation is almost like an interesting leo pisces 
like concept and the different ways the different people conceptualize that and what they take from it. Like the Pisces person might take reincarnation and interpret it as okay, so my current self is my current ego is not something that's permanent. And even though there may be a part of me that lives on or has lived in other successive lives, the manifestation of that will be different. And my ego now and my personality now will not necessarily survive, even if there's something else in me that does, or some part of me, some spiritual part of me that does. But um, I would think that the Leo interpretation of reincarnation, that there's some versions of it that I think about where they're Interesting reincarnation is the notion that the self does survive and that there's some piece of their selfhood or ego that will transcend the restraints of like life of like death and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good tag. Yeah. Um, all right. So, and then the final sign contrast to talk about is Pisces and Libra, where Libra is a cardinal error masculine sign and Jupiter or Pisces is a mutable water feminine sign. And the contrast, again, we get back to a Venus contrast with Libra being ruled by Venus, but it's a much different one in this instance. Um, in the Taurus episode, one of the analogies I came up with was Taurus is like a garden, like a beautiful garden or a flower garden, whereas um, Libra is like an art gallery. And there's like a mm -hmm. an artificiality to it in some sense versus an organicness in the difference between like an earth sign versus an air sign. Um, yeah, 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 and that, that's a good point. Libra is a humane sign, um, you know, meaning that it denotes human activity, right? And like an art gallery is constructed. Um, a meadow is something that just happens, right? If we're looking at Taurus, Venusian, uh, or sites of uh, Taurus. Venus stuff, mm -hmm. um, and that that's part of the power of uh, of Libra is to construct the Venusian to you know to decide on what 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 would be the best looking design for this website, right? It, it's not going to emerge out of the earth. We mm -hmm. don't wait for spring when the websites bloom, right? Right. Um, and how to construct harmony between human beings or relationship, right? Mm -hmm. A good version of which being harmony. Um, and so this one's interesting because this this is all this is one of the um, aversions that has an antitial mitigation, um, and so what Libra and Pisces have in common is that they're both interested in establishing harmony between contrarities. With Pisces, it's you know it's these big you know universal um, two fish chained at the mouth um, sort of contradictions. Um, and with Libra, it's um, um, it's often they're often social contrarities um, or aesthetic contrarities or matters of design. But there's you know we have the scales which are balancing both, and we have the the chain which links the fish which keeps them connected. And so there's a there's a great interest in both in finding like what is the what is the point of agreement or the point of reconciliation um, between um, you know contrasting contrasting things um you know uh pairs that want to pull apart because of their uh their opposition or difference and so even though the tools are completely different there's an interest in the same kind of activity yeah so maybe one of those kinds of activity can be there's some sort of like social orientation like libra really ha has an obvious social orientation in wanting to 
um, keep things balanced on a on a social and an interpersonal level. Um, and Pisces has almost a similar orientation between wanting to raise up the for- fortunes of those who are, are disadvantaged at a social level. So maybe there's almost some connection or at least some way for them to meet there in between. Yeah, one, well, and I think the the Pisces, like Venus, Jupiter sort of orientation, like once, like once there to be a coherent vibe connecting everybody in the room, mm-hmm. right? And they're probably coming out of again from more of a, a vibe level. The, the energy is you know coalescing and coherent, um, and Libra is going to come at the same. Uh, go, is going to be happy with that result, but achieve it very differently. Yeah, because it's more of a. There's a, a little bit of a coldness to Libra on a certain level, even though it's a social sign and it is connecting things together. It's not necessarily doing it from like an emotional place necessarily. It's cr- trying to create harmony. Um, but Pisces, the motivation is much more coming from an emotional place of, of empathy or, or different things like that. Yeah, and to be fair, Libra also loves to advocate for those who have gotten a raw deal according to their scales. Right, mm-hmm. they're always measuring what's fair and what's not fair, mm-hmm. um, and so that's another similarity but different kind of method of of coming to it. Yeah, that but makes yeah, sense. I, I would say one big difference is Libra, Libra believes in etiquette, like mm-hmm. Pisces is um, <laughs> at, at doing things like properly. Uh, is not the Pisces way. Pisces might do it in a way that's really cool or interesting or maybe awesome, but um, like the, the, that, like interest in form and etiquette and structure, right? Because Libra is the <clears throat> where Saturn takes its exaltation, is not not the Pisces talent, right? You have people like Leonard Cohen who have those two connected, um, where you see that you know that breathtaking works of staggering genius. Um, but they don't. Uh, they don't. Uh, it's rare that they come connected and you know coherently intermingling. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. All right, let me look again at this diagram. I think we have somehow gone through the comparisons with all twelve signs of the zodiac at this point, which brings us not just to the end of this discussion about Pisces, but also to the end of my year-long journey through the signs of the zodiac. Um, this was amazing. Is there anything else we should mention about Pisces in closing that you wanted to mention before we wrap up in terms of final thoughts? Um, I don't know. We've we've covered so much. Yeah. Anything that comes to mind for you? I'm sure there. I'm sure there's stuff that I'll bring out. I mean, there's out that I left out. The only thing that I know you like to mention on the forecast episodes is sometimes the body associations of Pisces with the feet. I do. Uh, the feet actually sometimes like manifesting very literally when people have placements in Pisces. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a thing that happens in a quite literal manner. Um, as the I don't want to retell the whole story, but I have Mars in Pisces. When Saturn went over that when I was younger, I broke my foot. I broke three toes and then had my jaw broken by a foot. Right. So it's, you know, the feet are real. Right. Um, and it's worth noting too that if we're talking about this connection to a larger whole with Pisces, your feet are the only part of you that is consistently connected to the earth. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they're the part that makes contact with the rest of the world. Right. That's a really interesting point. And that that analogy sometimes of like 
you need to keep your feet in the ground to get your head out of the clouds or other things like that. It's funny because that's kind of a Pisces analogy. Yeah, or with um, with Mercury uh, having difficulty in Pisces, putting your foot in your mouth. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that's a good one. I like that. That's really good. We finally understood there the core of the Mercury in Pisces dilemma. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, that feels good. That feels like a good ending point for this series and for this episode. Um, thanks a lot for doing this with me. This is awesome. So you, my friend, are working on a book that you're going to publish this year that goes into something that you mentioned briefly in this episode, which is the, the decans and the subdivisions of the signs into three different parts that I didn't get into much in this series because I thought it would be too much, but that is something you've done a lot of in-depth work on. Yeah, and I'm well into the second into um, creating the second edition, which it's not just an edit. Like I've been doing a lot of uh, uh, adding and rewriting and just rethinking every deck in one at a time, and then deciding what I want to keep and what I need to add and what maybe needs to go or what maybe needs to be said again, but with more finesse and nuance. Um, so I don't have a definite release date. I'm, I would say dead in the middle of it right now. Um, hopefully, hopefully it'll be out by the halfway point. Um, it shouldn't be too much longer than that. Um, so yeah, working on that. Um, also, um, for my birthday, which was just a few days ago in which I entered a Pisces perfection, um, you know, (laughs) very convenient for this. Uh, Right. Um, my, uh, uh, my lovely wife surprised me with having rebuilt my website, redesigned and rebuilt. Oh wow! And so, yeah, so that'll uh, that'll be out by the time this comes out publicly. Um, so you can actually see what I am doing in a way that's clear and easy to access. I'm also going to be putting up a bunch of the classes. Um, and lectures um, that I've given over the last several years for sale that haven't been previously available. Um, the gem of which might be um, the class I taught on astrology and tarot a few years ago, where I go through every card and look at its uh, zodiacal and planetary associations and sit and think about it. Like, what is the relationship between the Hierophant and Taurus? They're not the same thing but what are what is one saying about the other um so i'm excited that that's all finally coming out um let's see i will be teaching throughout the year um for my year one class uh, i will be doing an in t- i will be doing a limited enrollment once per quarter uh it's important that 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 class doesn't get too crowded because we we do a lot of live stuff and it's important people be able to interact and speak and then it not just be a sort of you know a a tsunami Uh, so look for updates for that on the new website um and what's your url again uh it's austincopic.com okay brilliant uh yeah pretty easy copic is c-o-p-p-o-c-k and um, I suppose uh, finally a lot of the election the magical electional work I've done through for sphere and sundry uh, will be coming out continuously every every six to eight weeks throughout the year. Uh, we have some we have some nice series that we bank. There's a 
There's a sprightly Mercury in Gemini that'll come out. Um, there is a Saturn in Aquarius series where you can experience the uh, uh, the chill of eternity, <laughs> uh, the uh, the frosty winter air of deep time and planning. Um, then there is the as yet unannounced uh, Strand Century Manhattan Project, which uh, we'll see the light of day before long, but I can't leak anything about that. We got a bunch of other stuff as well. Nice. What's the website for that? Oh, it's fearandsundry.com. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for joining me for this. Um, as for myself, so this concludes this series. Uh, if people want to learn more about my approach to astrology or how some of this is applied in actual chart interpretation, the primary course I teach on interpreting birth charts is my Hellenistic Astrology course, which has over 100 hours of lectures that go into much more detail just like this one. So you can find out more information about that at courses.theastrologyschool.com. And then I'm going to keep working on the podcast. So I've now completed a series last year on the planets, um, this year on a deep dive on the signs of the zodiac. So the next one I'm thinking about doing is a deep dive on each of the 12 houses and the significations and topics associated with each of those, and especially looking at them in terms of birth charts and what happens when a bunch of people when people have a bunch of planets placed in a certain sign of the zodiac and how that manifests in different ways. So if people want to support that work or get early access to those episodes as I record them, you can sign up through my page on patreon.com slash the astrology podcast to get access to those episodes and support that work. So otherwise, thanks a lot everyone for watching, for supporting this work on the podcast and for listening and everything else. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks Austin for joining me today. This was great. My pleasure. All right. And that's it for this episode. So thanks everyone for watching and we'll see you again next time. A special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Mimi Stargazer, and Jean Marie Kaplan. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through our page on patreon.com. In exchange, you can get access to bonus content that's only available to patrons of the podcast, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the monthly forecast episodes, our monthly Auspicious Elections podcast, or another exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast, or you can even get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, visit patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. If you're looking to get an astrological consultation, we have a list of recommended astrologers at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. The astrologers on the list are friends of the podcast that have been featured in different episodes over the years, and they have different specialties such as natal astrology, electional astrology, synastry, rectification, or horary astrology. You can get a 10% discount when you book a consultation with one of the astrologers on our list by using the promo code ASTROLOGYPODCAST. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of Solar Fire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, 
and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. You can get a print copy of the book through Amazon or other online retailers, or there's an ebook version available through Google Books. I also recently published a new translation of the anthology of the 2nd century astrologer Vedius Valens, which is one of the most important sources for understanding the practice of ancient astrology. You can find that by searching for Vedius Valens the Anthology on Amazon or other online book retailers. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, and by the time you finish the course, you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. I also recently launched a new course there called the Birth Time Rectification Course, where I teach students how to figure out your birth time using astrology when the birth time is either unknown or uncertain. You can find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. Each year, the podcast releases a set of astrology calendar posters for the coming year, and we've just released our 2023 Planetary Alignments and Planetary Movements posters, which are now available on our website at theastrologypodcast.com store. There you can also pick up our 2023 Electional Astrology Report, where Lisa Scheim and I went through the next 12 months and we picked out the single most auspicious date for each month using the principles of Electional Astrology. You can get that at theastrologypodcast.com slash 2023 report. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer Magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com. Finally, thanks also to the Northwest Astrology Conference, which is happening May 25th through the 29th, 2023, just outside of Seattle. This year's conference is going to be a hybrid conference where you can either attend online or in person. Find out more information at norwac.net.